Hello, everyone. It is the 30th of September, which means we literally can't put it off any longer. It's time for the Sadistic September podcast mm. special. Yeah, this is Chris, where how you doing, man? I'm so good and bad. Um, the bad entirely connects to the, the manga we're going to be reading, but <laughs> Uh, That's a good sign. Before, yeah, yeah. Before we get to that, I do want to tell a a small. This isn't really an anecdote. This is really more of an observation that doesn't really fit in a tweet. So, do you watch The Good Place at all? Yes, I uh, love The Good Place. Uh, uh, we I've watched all of it, and you finished uh, it. Then? I watched the last two seasons basically as the episodes were coming out. So. Okay, so I did watch all of it, uh, but. When it came to the last season, I watched, like, the first two episodes, I think, and Mm -hmm. then I stopped watching it. Not for any... I just forgot to watch it, and then eventually, like, the episodes left TV, so I was waiting for it to come out on Netflix, and it finally did, and I marathoned almost all of it, and I left the last episode. So I just watched the last episode the other night, Uh, and that episode, not to get into spoilers, but uh, deals with death a lot, uh, and emotionally destroyed me. Yeah. Uh, to a point that I've mentioned before, I was like, you know, I cried during the last two Jumanji's. Those were like, kind Mm. of like Robin Williams. Like those are like manly soldier tears. This was me full on, almost like openly sobbing, like in an environment. And I don't know whoever made up this fucking, this lie, this goddamn myth that animals can sense when you're sad and comfort you. Cause my dog could not have been more annoyed with me. No, she started burying her head underneath the pillow. She's like, you're loud. Stop your crying. And then eventually she got up and left. And I was like, Oh, I'm sorry. It's me. Barely. You're sensitive bullshit right now. <laughs> it's me. Barely holding it together. Disturbing you. No, that episode. Yeah, I, I cried multiple times during that. And it's it was like a it was, I think it was only just like a 40 minute special. It was like a double length yeah. finale special thing. But the moment that got me especially how can I put this without actually spoiling anything? The moment where Jason uh, uh, comes from, comes around the tree. OK, yeah, that part killed me. Because I was just like, oh, and he, oh, so, um, yeah, it's, if you have not seen The Good Place, uh, very good show, Mm -hmm. highly recommended, will say, keep an open mind, be patient for a little bit, and if you're expecting it to be a slap your knees uh, sitcom, it's very funny at times, but it's more of a meditation than it is a yuck fest i guess and in addition if you have an animal and you're in a sad place just don't expect Mm -hmm. them to comfort you because that's some bull crap that the movies came up with and i don't think it's real because my dog hasn't comforted me (laughs) once when i'm in a low place yeah stupid dog hater terrible listeners yeah (laughs) all right nick let's talk about it let's let's get into it people are here for a reason they don't want to hear about the good place well, maybe some of them do. Um, so we read for Sadistic September a series called Codebreaker. Mm-hmm. That's the word code colon the word breaker. I don't know why exactly it's styled that way, but it is. Uh, it's a series by Akimine Kamijo, who is the mangaka of Samurai Deeper Kyo. 
Uh, she published this uh, series in 2008 uh, until 2013 in Weekly Shonen Magazine, which is the same magazine that Eden Zero currently runs in. Uh, basically, Codebreaker is uh, about Light Yag- Yagami if you were a firebender. And that's the easiest way for me to put it. Uh, it gets stupider from there, trust me. Yeah, this is a really, really bad series. Uh, it surprised me when halfway through reading it, I, I found out and discovered it was written by a woman because mm-hmm. it had a lot of the trademark signs of... Uh, the easiest way I can actually describe this series, it's like a miniature, kind of shittier, but kind of better version of Air Gear. Because yeah. it has almost all of the same problems, mm-hmm. but just... In some cases, far stronger, and in some cases, much less pronounced. But, holy crap, is it a bad manga. Uh, the entire premise is that there is this organization in the world called the Code... Well, the organization is called Eden, and it has agents called Code Breakers, who are numbered six to one. And Although we never meet some of those numbers for some well, reason. <laughs> we do never meet number one because the number one spot apparently was never filled in. We do but also we never meet like number four, I no. think. No, we do meet the other five. Do we? Yeah, Ogami, Prince, Toki, uh, Yuki, and then Hike. And the number It might be that some of someone left the organization or something. I don't know. It's there's a lot of like back and forth nonsense, but uh-huh. basically these these code breakers have the authority to go out and punish people that the law can't, and they use they punish them by murdering them with supernatural powers. Uh, and it just so happens that one day, the fuck, I, Sakura Sakura Koji, which Stupid is the name. dumbest fucking name. Not only because not only is her name Sakura Sakura Koji, but then her mother Sakura Ko Sakura Koji comes in, and then there's also a character named Koji. So it's fucking infuriating. So she just happens to see the main character, Ogami, burning someone to death with his blue flame, investigates it, and just gets involved in this world. And eventually it yes. becomes this moral dilemma where Ogami says these people are evil, they need to die, they are trash, and he doesn't care that he's murdering them. He's like, I'll be evil to destroy these evil. But Sakura uh, just he believes... this whole phrase, which is way stupider than he thinks it is. Yeah. Which is, he goes, eye for an eye tooth for a tooth and evil for evil we're just like fuck off (laughs) if it helps every one of the code breakers gets their own stupid version of that and it's really weird because they can't all just say evil for evil they but you would think that instead they would be like you know death for death or something like that but no they all say something for evil, which means that it disrupts the poetry, the repetition of the line, which <laughs> so. it'd be like it, it, to an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth and for the retribution of the dark future to come or something like that. You're like, all right, it's kind of yeah, some weird stupid really theme. far away from this. <laughs> Uh, But the other character, Sakura, she is diametrically opposed to this because she believes all human life is precious and it must be protected at all costs. Yes. Uh, The reason why this series was in here uh, was even possible is because I read this a very, very long time ago, uh, back in the days of like Manga Panda or whatever. And I just on a whim 
decided to start reading it. It just showed up and I was like, all right, let me give this a try. And I got to, I think maybe like 20 chapters through. I, I remember meeting Hike and I just remember thinking, I fucking hate the lead female character so much. She is horrendous. And part of the reason why I hate her has shifted. I think the main reason I hated her when I was younger is that I, I thought she was a Mary Sue and she's not completely she is in her introduction the prettiest most popular girl in school who was also a super martial arts champion and also one of the smartest people in school and she's got the most beautiful heart in the entire world and she's fucking worthless in everything in the world uh when it comes to like anything plot related yeah but she's not exactly a mary sue but she is unendingly frustrating (laughs) she's so here's the problem there are so many plot details that are stupid in this series, but here is the main issue. This series cannot actually decide what the code breakers are and what the moral quandary surrounding them should be. Because we start off with Sakura meeting Ogami, meeting the other code breakers, And she is like this very she's supposed to be this very virtuous person who follows the rules. She's like, you know, ultimate, you know, class president kind of thing. She's grown up in privilege and she has this very solid idea of the way that the world is supposed to work. And she is strongly against killing of any kind whatsoever, no matter the circumstances. Uh, it part of it ends up tying into her family and then, you know, all of this is supposed to be about she does not believe in killing. And at the beginning of the series, before she the very, very beginning, like in the first five ish chapters, she has met Ogami. And uh, pretty soon she finds out that he is responsible for going around and murdering people Mm -hmm. Uh, there. He's murdering people who have done bad things, but like, you know, he goes around to like street thugs who are beating people up and he just puts his hand on their face and burns them alive. And there is nothing left of their bodies. Uh, He mercilessly slaughters them. Yes. And he is a student at her school and she knows this secret about him. And he is there in her class with her and she knows this secret about who he really is. And all of her friends are palling up to the new guy, Ogami. He's like, Oh, he's so handsome. And they're trying to, you know, be funny with him, trying to get him to hang out with them. And she basically is like putting herself between them and being like, no, you know, don't get near him and stuff like that. So they quickly end up deciding, Oh, they're romantically interested in each other. She's trying to manipulate his time and stuff like that. It's a whole thing. Her classmates are even worse than all the other stuff in this series. It's amazing how terrible they are. But, uh, so, and there's a part where like he puts his hand on her and she thinks, Oh my God, He's going to kill me so I don't give away his secret. She's terrified of him and justifiably so. She doesn't know this guy very well. He has specifically explicitly said, like, no matter what, I can't be discovered and I can't let people who commit evils get away with it. I have to kill them. And very shortly after that, although she doesn't give up on the whole like killing is wrong thing. It instead becomes, if we keep with the whole, she's like the class president or whatever, it's like, you stop that. You stop killing people. It's wrong. There's always a better way than killing people, and you shouldn't do it. And it's like, 
he's murdering people. Yeah. What, what, what is this just something that annoys you or is it something that deep in your core horrifies you? It can't be one or the other. It, <laughs> There's no problem. Conf- it has to be. It, it's both. Yeah. Like, it, it, <laughs> There's no ethical confrontation really on it. She is objectively of the belief that no one should ever be killed. She has a very, in her mind, poetic way to think about it, where she'll run up and hug you and she'll see, see, you're still warm. Everyone's still warm. And that means they're full of life. And that means you shouldn't destroy it because w- when you lose that warmth, you're gone. And the people they're often dealing with are just like sociopaths. Like, again, you can have a larger discussion about whether the death penalty is the way to deal with criminals or mm-hmm. to rehabilitate them, but it's never anything about that. It's just, she doesn't want people to kill each other. And that's her only contribution to the series. She is what is considered a rare kind, which means she has the ability to nullify all the powers that these other people have. Uh, all these code breakers and other characters we meet. So yeah, she's so she does have the capacity to mm-hmm. force peace between people in a way no one else does because she can just like take away powers yeah. and be like, now make up, you know. Yeah, she could do things like that, but it honestly only comes up when every thirty or forty chapters she mm-hmm. decides to randomly jump and hug somebody to prevent them from being killed. That's pretty much the only time her powers really come up, aside from way, way later on in the series when uh, it's revealed she has like an evil dark side, and it's I don't know, it's stupid and it's dumb. We don't want to get quite to that point quite yet. So, like the whole like crux of the series is based on that until like thirty chapters in. And then it just becomes nonsense. It's it's mm-hmm. impossible to really understand what's happening. Partially because there's a ton of just the most annoying things in the world that this series does. It it does that thing that we both despise where you don't reveal a character's name. You just refer to them by a title. That person. Yeah. I'm going to find him, him in quotes. So much so, I want to I want to stress. So this is like the first major antagonist. Ogami's had this thing. He's basically yes. Sasuke. He's like, there's a person I want to find because I have to find and kill him. And this person and shows up. with my Amaterasu yes. flame that won't go out. <laughs> yep. Basically, uh, we eventually find this person. And the person looks identical to him, and he calls him like yep. a brother. So you're like, oh, wow, he's got to kill his brother. Turns out it's not his brother. It's 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 stupid, and it's, it's really complicated. But this character is a major antagonistic figure for like, like a 30 to 40 chapter chunk of the series, and then kind of has like references to him throughout the series. He never has a name. <laughs> he is simply referred to as he, that he person, or the, or that who is sought yeah so no one ever names him at all it it, it's infuriating because he has a name just no one brings it up the best way to refer to him is his title which is code seeker which is a stupid name but it's better than calling him he who must be sought or whatever fucking stupid title we're supposed to so the entire series is like we have to find he who must be sought so we can stop December 32nd from happening again. And you're like, this is the dumbest fucking thing I'm ever reading. Why am I reading this? I guess that's a good jumping off point to this series is stupid in a very 12 year old wrote this kind of way. Mm-hmm. It's they're all called code breakers all of the code breakers have their sign off thing. And I know it's a shonen. 
Shonen is stupid. It just is, and either you like it or you don't. But here is an even bigger issue than the whole Sakura thing. Because you know what? Sakura is all over this series. She is probably around even more than Ogami is. She, in terms of like her presence in the series and how often she shows up. Uh, so if you find Sakura annoying, which I personally do because she, it, the series can't s- settle on whether she takes this matter seriously or if it's just a wacky adventure for her and it's about people murdering each other. So she really should pick a side on that. Um, but the code breakers are, first of all, we first meet Ko- Ogami and it's like, yes. I'm a code breaker. And in this world, there are people who commit evil who are not punished by our laws. There are people who are innocent and who are, and who suffer, uh, despite our laws. And so the only way to correct them is by living outside the system, by being one who breaks the code, who lives outside of the law. And then it turns out the code breakers are an organization with a structure that answer to a board that oversees them. And that board is part of the government. We're a group of people who break the law, who are part of the law. Yeah, I mean, yeah, a little bit. Is there something wrong with that? We, yes. we, can't, we can't stop this businessman. We can't touch him. You're the law. I don't... <laughs> I mean, like, can you imagine if, like, Daredevil were a cop? Like, that is... <laughs> uh, and not... Well, no, hang on, let me rephrase, because Matt Murdock is a lawyer, but he's a lawyer who's like, I can't do everything by just being a lawyer, so I have to work outside of the system. What if instead here, if there, there were someone like, yes, and as someone who wants to make a difference, we'll employ you to... <laughs> yeah, it would, yeah, it would be like if instead of a lawyer, if Daredevil was uh, the sole member of the Supreme Court, you're like, no, you would... <laughs> You would be able to do the justice. <laughs> you are the system at that point. Uh, I don't know if it's supposed to because the the. All right, I'm just gonna get into part of this. I'm gonna get into part of this. I'm I'm really gonna go off on some rants now. Um, well, before you get into that, okay, I'm going to just explain to you why I don't have many individual rants planned. Because there are certain elements that are just kind of omnipresent in the series where I'm just like, this is so fucking stupid. And as they come up, I will chip in on them. But I got I have notes that I prepared on this series, but mostly it was just after the first 10 after the first 20 chapters, I'd say I just kind of like would put something down whenever something really bad occurred to me. But as I read the series I think that what happened was, as a defense mechanism, the connection between the halves of my brain split whenever I would pull the series up. You know how it is where uh, if the connection in your brain isn't properly uh, formed and you close one of your eyes, then you can't read? Yeah. That's kind of what happened to me. I was seeing the images and seeing the words, but my brain refused to process all of the stuff that it was absorbing. And I just kind of kept on turning the pages until I was done. That's a legitimate thing with this series, because despite it being like a pretty generic battle shonen series, for the most part, it is disturbingly dense to an unnecessary point. 
And I don't know if you got to this point, but there reaches an element of the series where probably like a hundred or so chapters in. No. <laughs> okay. We're legitimately, there is a new twist about every single chapter, like nonstop. And some of them definitely were planned. A lot of them weren't. I actually like have like, I had to like go back and like compare something to the stupid, like chapter 100, which is just a stupid swimsuit chapter to actually confirm that they didn't plan something that happened way later on involving a character tattoo but it's so dense and full of non-stop twists that it is so physically draining to read after a while because you have no time to process anything before it's like oh you thought this about ogami well guess what he actually killed this person <gasps> everyone will turn in shock and then two chapters later or did he? You're just like, I fucking can't keep doing this. I think they use that twist three separate times. And I'll be honest, there's a big runny plot point about um, Toki. Toki is like sort of like the rival figure of the series, he's, but like sort of yeah, the second protagonist. He's, in the, a way. he's the Lancer. He's the one who's got the, you know, kind of sort of friendly rivalry with, with yeah. Ogami. Uh, all of the code breakers have a sort of elemental power to them. So Ogami's yeah. is fire. His is magnetism. Yes. And Toki's whole thing is that uh, he actually was saved. He he wasn't originally a code breaker. His sister, who was one, I think, I'm not, she had the power before. Yes. She was killed and put her power into him, but she wasn't really killed. That's a no, whole other thing. I have to get to that. She's I, the classmate. I, I have to get to that later, Nick. I can't process it all right now, but she's not dead, but she is, but she's the, like a gross child thing that I don't want to talk about right now. Toki is angry because someone killed her and they initially reveal who it is because he has a very prominent scar on his face. And then later on, that character becomes a good guy. So they had to like develop no, a new them. <laughs> he had to develop a new person with the scar in the same spot. What a coincidence. <laughs> but he also became a good guy. So I don't know. So they had to be like, I don't know, the Prime Minister killed her or something. And you're like, what is the point of this? Oh, Why did way, you Toki. do this twist three times? By the way, Toki's father is the Prime Minister of Japan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who gets kidnapped at one point um, by a former codebreaker yeah. who has the one lone sensible character motivation in this entire series, which is there are all these codebreakers who worked for you who died in secret because nobody can tell, tell them about uh, about us. So I'm going to cause mayhem and destruction and kill people until the government is forced to acknowledge our existence, basically. And so he kidnaps the prime minister, who is, again, also Toki's dad, mm. and they defeat him. And afterwards, they're like, hey, this is kind of the prime minister's fault, isn't it? And then they just let him go. <laughs> well, if it helps, Nick, he's the final villain of the whole series. <laughs> he's so evil in that moment because he's just like, there's nothing for me to say here. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Did you have one less? Did you have something you wanted to finish off on? I went There's on a Toki rant. something that I want to bring up, but okay. I'm sure that you'll bring up something related to it that I can talk about it later. So Okay. So I'm just going to start kind of explaining a bit of the series uh, beyond that point. The start of the series is like 
uh, we just meet the different code breakers. Ogami, eventually we meet up with Toki. And once a character shows up, they're basically just part of the team. Uh, you meet Toki, you eventually meet Hike, who's the number two code breaker, and he has light powers and he reads bondage erotic novels the whole time. That's his character gimmick. He's an asshole. Uh, He's kind of an overseer for the others. Yes. So. He is also the leader, because just to clear up, because this actually confused the shit out of me, there is no code breaker one. The previous Codebreaker one was uh, Hitomi, the lightning guy that Nick just talked about. And even though he's an ex-Codebreaker when we're introduced to him, I guess they just never filled that position. And no one really brings it up. I guess that's why no one ever says, hey, is Codebreaker 1 going to come and help us? Which is what I kept thinking during every fucking like interaction in this series. But there is no Codebreaker 1. So they meet them. And then eventually, as they get into this new arc, we meet Prince, who is the fifth code breaker. Uh, and she is the only female code breaker. And she is also formerly a member of a group called Recode, which they're not code breakers. This is but. a group, but they all have powers like code breakers. And yes. they're, they're led by he who must be sought. So we're just told, like, oh, no, he who must be shot has sought has shown up. <laughs> he who must be shot. I wish they would have shot him. That's amazing. He who must be sought has shown up, and he, he is leading this group of recodes, and they're like, oh, no, if he gets Pandora's box, which we hold in, uh, like, a vault beneath our, our home, then i don't know i don't know what's supposed to happen they never explain it it's just bad if he gets pandora's box so there's this big arc that's all about like training to get stronger so that they can have this big fight against the recodes because these guys are really strong like the guy the guy who apparently killed toki's sister is one of those members so he has to get revenge and it's the only cool fucking fight in the series because toki actually develops a pretty cool technique where he like kind of like holds one big ball of metal to one side and then one to the other and uses himself as kind of like a pendulum to create like a gauss rifle essentially and it's kind of dope and he actually loses the fight so it's pretty cool like they didn't just give him the big heroic moment the dude beats him and it's just like hey you fought well i'm gonna i'm not gonna kill you again uh but eventually it just leads to a fight with ogami and uh, I'm going to call him Seeker from henceforward, because he who must be sought is the dumbest fucking name in existence, and I refuse to acknowledge it anymore. So he who must be sought, Seeker and, and, and Ogami fight, and Ogami eventually wins by unlocking a new power in his arm, because it turns out, Nick, you know how like Ogami has this thing where only his left arm can burn you? Uh, I know that there's a twist regarding said arm, yeah, but I won't it's... reveal it if you're not ready to yet. No, no, it is, because this is where we find out. It's not his arm. His arm, that some arm has been surgically grafted to him. And you're like, what? Not really, because it's dumb and you don't care. But like, I guess the intention is for you to be like, holy shit, it's not his arm. So there's a lot of twists in the series that are like that, where you're just like, what? <laughs> yeah. I uh, look, it's fine because after that point, they reveal that uh, Ogami's arm is a sentient fireball that's a pervert. So we get that. But he beats Seeker. Seeker wasn't actually a bad guy. He was actually kind of a father figure to Ogami the whole time. And he was kind of a good guy. I don't really... He was going to kill everybody until Ogami beat him. <laughs> so I don't know why everyone's kind of like... Time for my character redeeming story. Everyone's kind of like crying when he dies. And I was like, I think he was going to kill everybody. But whatever. We don't have to... We don't have to get to that part. So they do that. But the recoders are all good guys now because like seeker's last wish is like protect ogami 
So they all do, except for one who is the lamest member who actually turns out to be super powerful. And he's a member of the next villain group. So he just <laughs> mysteriously vanishes and you're just like, fucking whatever, I guess. So it's not about that. But apparently Ogami unlocking his new arm has made him so much of a threat that Eden, the organization that controls everything, cannot allow it. So all of the code breakers turn against him. And they are going to go after and kill Ogami. Because you mentioned Sakura kind of is like the major character. That's true until that arc. And then after that, it's 100% Ogami is the most important character in this series. Oh, good. Because he's such an important and amazing character. Who's so compelling. Yeah. (laughs) So I mentioned mentioned in a tweet recently that there was a twist that I had called. Yes. I've been wondering about that. And I expected it. And it made me physically angry when it finally happened. And we're going to get to it. So it, it kind of involves that arc where it was supposed to be this big thing. We have to stop the bad guys from getting Pandora's box. And then they do anyway. And Ogami beats them, blah, 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 blah. This new thing. We have to, the code breakers have all turned against Ogami because they they think his arm is a danger and not only are the code breakers on Eden's side there's a group even stronger than the code breakers called the code names and there's four yeah. of them and they're really powerful because they all have two powers so they're crazy strong so it's just ogami alone except the recoders team up with them because they're going to protect him so it's almost like a flip-flop and then eventually one by one all the different code breakers rejoin with ogami and it's basically the code breakers against the code names and we meet the code names and <laughs> remind me to come back to it okay. one of one of them is ogami's classmate and it's the dumbest fucking twist that no one gives a flying fuck about but we meet the code names and they're like we have to stop the code names and I'm about to put another pin in something that we absolutely have to come back to because it may be visibly sick when it happened. But they have to like, they're like, we have to get in this tunnel that'll lead us to Eden because we have to stop the code names. I don't know what they're trying to stop them from. But we have to stop the code names. We, I guess we just have to beat them. Or That's they're gonna come another after thing us. about the series is that there were so many moments and it, this was before I got to the point where like my brain just kind of like rejected absorbing everything. Stuff just happens in this series. Like I literally there's a moment where you where there's everyone kind of gathers at Sakura's house. A thing happens because there's an assassination attempt against her because it turns out that her that her father is the head of a Yakuza family. We'll come back to it. Um, <laughs> it's not even that important in the grand scheme of things. So they, they, they try and assassinate her, basically. And then stuff happens after they take care of that immediately after. And for the sliver, the tiniest fraction of a second, my brain started to go, wait, why are they? And then I was like, and then the rest was like, shut up, shut up. It doesn't matter. <laughs> shut up. <laughs> so they, they're, they're tasked to go underground. They have to go through this tunnel. This, I need you. They go to a place called Takama, Takama, Takama Gahara, which I know was also the name of like a, a jump manga or whatever manga series. Yeah, I, you, you you liked it more than I did. Yeah. I no, I didn't. I hated it. Uh, but maybe I did you like liked it more than I. Did. Okay, there we go. <laughs> I'm putting a pin in this. Please, for the love of God, remind me to come back to it. But they go through this fucking tunnel, Nick. 
and they have to stop the code names. We have been dealing with the code names for a while. We've met all of them. One of them is Prince's brother. It's a big deal. They have to have their shot, their, their showdown against the code names. They fight them in an underground version of Parliament. It's just, it looks like the Parliament building exactly, but it's underground and instead of like the regular imagery in parliament it's got like a bunch of religious imagery that shows all these different fucking things it's terrifying there's a big fight because all the code names are there and they also all have their own individual stupid theme groups which never really develops into anything because they don't do anything but they all have their own their theme groups and it's a, it's a big fight that's happening. There's a big showdown that Ruri has against her brother, and uh, she gets to develop more of her shadow powers. And there's like a tease that like shadow powers are very important because every character needs to be very important. But all these fights happen. But then, before any climax can happen in it, a new group shows up, and they're all rare kinds, <laughs> and they're called the Angels. And at that point, everyone teams up, and Hike says. These are actually what we've been training you all to fight. So the code names were never our enemies. This is all the whole 170 chapters to this point has all been an elaborate training arc to prepare you to fight them. And they never fight them. <laughs> is that the twist you were referring yes, to? That you call? I, it's 170 chapters for them to be like, Nope, these bad guys weren't the bad guys either. They've all been our allies from the very beginning. By the way, some of these allies have done truly abhorrently awful things. Like, they're terrible people that I'll get back to. What is that? Honestly, you know what? What does it even matter, though? Because, like, there's there was a whole thing about, like, so, so there are parts of, because I didn't read all of this, but I read through, like, the character list here and there. Uh, to give myself a little bit of extra prep for this. And there was a moment when they were referring to one of the groups. I can't remember if it was the recoders, if it was the code names, if it was the angels. I can't remember which one it was, but there was a comment that was like, they have no regard for human life, which makes them truly evil. And I'm like, the code breakers don't have any regard for human life. Ogami doesn't care if he kills people. He does. He has no remorse for his actions. Why does that make them the bad guys? Yeah, I would assume that group is talking about the angels, who, by the way, are a group of characters. They're they're rare kinds like Sakura, and their whole thing is like, I don't know, they've been in stasis or something. I don't fucking yes. remember, <laughs> but they remember they've they've come out. And they're going to kill everybody. They're going to destroy all humankind because humankind is awful. So they can literally drain the life force for people as well as nullify powers. So it's this big thing. We're, we got to protect all of you, you guys, because you guys, the code breakers, are actually the only ones who can defeat these guys. So we have to we're all going to make this big heroic sacrifice so that you can like go forward and succeed or whatever. And then everyone lives anyway, basically. So it doesn't really matter. Um and every member of the angels does not have a name. They're all just referred to by what they look like. Yankee boy, Rasta guy. The main villain of the group is just called Fussy Lunch because he eats lunch a lot while he d he's evil L, basically. And that they don't turn out to be the villains either. They're also good guys eventually because the bad guy was the prime minister. And that's it. <laughs> they beat the prime minister and end the series. And it, it's like another 50 chapters from when the angels are introduced to the end. And there's only one reprieve in there. And I was so thankful for it. 
because there's like a 10 epi- there's like a 10 chapter stretch where there's a school festival where for some reason the angels are involved and whoever wins will determine whether or not a bunch of serial killers get killed by this app people could vote on or not. I don't understand what it was, but I I knew it was unimportant, so I skipped through those 10 chapters real quick. <laughs> so it was a reprieve because you didn't read it. I, I, I was like, I'm scanning through, I'm scanning through. They're still doing school festivals, school festivals, school festivals, school festivals, school festivals. Okay, now, now important things are happening again. Oh, uh, so I'm g- I had to go back to one of the pins. Two, two, two pins you left. One was about a classmate who's in the code names, okay. and one was about Takamaka. I'm, I'll, I'll, all right, I'll do the classmate one first because you mentioned at the beginning there are classmates who are following these characters around. Yes, and they're fucking stupid. You don't they're care terrible. about them at all. They're well, they're also just awful people. Like there's a chapter where um, they they basically just exist to be shippers and to be perverts yep uh so in as soon as they see that sakura is acting weird about around ogami uh they're like oh wow is the most popular girl in school interested in him oh wow is is he is he interested in her and they mm. just immediately jump on that conclusion and to her credit sakura is just like you know what it's easiest if they just think this rather than knowing that he's a horrible murderer uh, which could potentially get them all killed. So sure, I'll just roll with it, whatever. But all this stuff keeps happening. They keep on assuming it. And wouldn't you know it, of course, the main romance story in the series is between Ogami and Sakura mm. because that person who disobeys her main moral core, which is that killing people is bad, and he does so flippantly and repeatedly and mercilessly. Oh, man, he's just so hot. Like literally and figuratively, because you know yes, his hand is yes, on fire, yes. but also he's very handsome. Yes, so I will he's say, too hot he, for her to stay mad at him. He does eventually change because he as changes a, multiple times, Chris. Yeah, he, he changes multiple times because his backstory keeps getting rewritten. There was supposed to be this big thing, like Sakura killed everybody because she's a rare kind and she didn't know what was happening. And then was a big twist because they're like, no, you killed Ogami. And then they're like, no, actually, Ogami killed everybody. And then they're like, no, there was a third person who was in that room. And then eventually they're like, there was a fourth person in that room who was also a girl for the sole purpose of creating a love triangle. By the way, she shows up in like four chapters and then she just doesn't really like she's a bad guy from thenceforward, but she always wears a mask. But she's still she's a good person, but she's evil. I don't know. Anyway, the classmates, it's this fucking thing with the fucking classmates, because eventually they tell them to like, oh, no, the, the code breaker is going to come after you, Ogami, because this is when his arm can turn into like a, a pretty lolly boy who fucking harasses him at times. Because yeah, it, it was it was like a little fireball, which is where the whole sentient fireball who's a pervert thing comes from, because it is for a while, because they do love the little fucking like cute characters who are badasses in this series. But the code breakers are going to come after him. So, like, that's the only safe place we could possibly go is the school because the school has, like, a dampening field or something. It doesn't matter because immediately gets evaded by code breakers. So, Yuki shows up and there's this big fight. And there's, like, a six-chapter-long fucking talk about how they're, like, the, there's the code names. And there's four of them. And one of them is Codename Revenger. And and uh, Ogami, I want to keep calling him Shiki, Ogami 
It's one of your classmates. So it's this big thing that keeps focusing on. I don't know why someone just didn't tell him which fucking classmate it is, but he's like, it's one of your classmates. He's like, I can't think about this. I have this important fucking fight to do. It's a whole bunch of cool stuff going on. And eventually, Ogami's classmates see as fire, and they're like, oh my god, this is horrifying. Then they have a talk about it, and they're like, never mind, we're gonna fucking, we're gonna do this. We're gonna fight for him anyway. Uh, and one of them gets stabbed through the chest, and everyone's like, oh my god, no, one of them's dead. But they, they went to fight anyway, and then they're like, wait a minute, where did fucking what's-his-face go? And they're like, oh no, The guy who got stabbed? Yeah, the guy who got stabbed, and they're like... Nobody kept an eye on the person who got stabbed? No, it was too, there was too much going on, so they're like, what happened to him? This is incredible, oh no! And then everyone's like, he must be the code name. And then they, they like, they sh- there's like a big shadowy figure, it's the code name. But then, I don't really understand what happens... The dude just shows up and he's like, I wasn't a code name. I'm a recode. <laughs> like, this is dumb. So the code name is another one of Ogami's classmates, the female classmate, who's just like, ooh, and we have a rivalry because we were all in a like a like a church together when we were kids, and Ogami burned our, our the sister who owned it. And I, I had to laugh because the recode member, it's such it's supposed to be a big reveal when he's like, no, I'm a recode. He is the most worthless fucking character in the series. <laughs> you almost forget he exists because he can't do anything. His power is basically like the the substitution jutsu in Naruto, and it's fucking worthless. <laughs> so you like you keep forgetting he exists until like he'll show up in a background shot, <laughs> and it's fucking embarrassing. <laughs> but the girl class. The, so much. Well, you're gonna like them even less soon because the girl classmate is Oba, or Ioba, A O B A, whatever. I'm gonna call her Oba. Alba. Uh, Alba. Uh, so she's the bad one, and she hates Ogami for that reason. So now let's talk about Takamakahara. So there's a whole thing where they're going through this tunnel that leads to it, and it's like sealed with a bunch of different rooms, and one of them is called Takamakahara. And when they go through the room, it's full of a bunch of bikini girls. Like a whole bunch of hot girls in bikinis and other fetish okay. outfits. And they explain, hey, we are women who were attacked by people that were saved by agents of Eden, which I can only presume would mean code breakers because, or code names, because those are the only people who seem to actively be agents. But they're like, hey, we were people who were attacked by people. Uh, but in the process of being saved, we discovered, like, we saw that they had powers, or we found out about Eden, so we weren't allowed to coexist into the world anymore. So it, it seems as though Eden basically forced us into this underground brothel, because uh, that's what they're all in. No codebreaker has an objection with this. No one says anything like, well, that's... I, I have some problems with this. As somebody who's supposed to defend justice, I would like I would like to raise some concerns. Hike, the main member of the group, who by the way, I haven't revealed it to this point, but he's in the thousand year old person who is eternally young right, right, and he right, lived in the right. feudal ages. He's he doesn't say anything. Everyone's just like, I'm okay with that. Looks like there's a bar here. So the girls are like Eye hey, for an eye. Yeah. Tooth for a tooth. Pussy for me. <laughs> Rhythm there. <laughs> so 
they all go off to do that, but a couple of them are like hanging around with the girls, and the girls are like, look, we'll fuck you. Just help us get out of here afterwards. <laughs> and they start kind of going along with it. Again, no one raises any objections, but then the girls are evil. Because it turns out they're not actually uh, people who were almost killed and were saved. They were killed. All of the women there are people, victims of violent crimes, rape, murder, hit and runs. They were all killed. And then their bodies were found by Oba. And she said, put some more life into these girls and bring them back to life, basically. And basically made into her minions because her power is like time reversal. And she's like, if you guys manage to kill one of the bad people that I'm looking for, I'll return your body to before you were ever killed. So all the girls are like, well, all right, we're going to kill these guys. And so they all turn into like clay face monsters and they're like, ah, we're going to kill you. Ogami just burns them all alive immediately. <laughs> like just incinerates them. And I don't know why. I don't know why it's there. I open chooses to like, hologram conference into this situation just to be like did you stupid zombies think i was actually going to give you life if you managed to do this They're, you're zombies you can't return a body back to that point i just wanted slaves who will do my work and like last girl is just like oh why and they they burn to death and no one seems to have any concerns and then they leave and it's never brought up again and then aoba's a friend of the group at the end of the series because she helped them fight against the angels and you're like no i i understand Years she afterward they're just sitting around a bar and she's just be like hey you remember that one time that i got the souls of the innocent into some zombies and turned them into a harem to trick you so i could try and kill you and then you re-murder them all and I laughed at them as they burned. Wasn't that funny? <laughs> Sakura says fucking nothing while this is happening. She's never, like, her whole thing is like, no, you can't kill people. And it seems like there definitely should be a defense even though they're trying to kill them, like, like you could write stories however you fucking need to there's like eight yes. power users there with crazy powers who could delay them from doing it there's no point of them ever saying like hold on we can't kill these people like these women have a valid point like these women were were victims we we need to try to help them as much as we can the fuck that boom incinerate them immediately we got we got shit to do <laughs> that's that's never brought up again and I, it's it's just Let's like that so Sakura. much Okay. Let's talk a bit about, about Sakura because I didn't actually reach the point in the story where there are huge twists related to her backstory because it turns out. So it's revealed early on. I'll start with the thing that I find stupid and then I'll move on to others and I'll just kind of tie it in. You, found, it turns you, you have out one like, thing you find stupid? Well, okay. It was the one thing I reached. Okay. Uh, so. Sakura's got this whole thing because it turns out there's more to her than meets the eye. She's not actually just an ordinary girl. She's got all this history and stuff that ties her in with the code breakers. It turns out that she was part of Ogami's past, except she wasn't, except she was. Uh, the identity of her of her birth mother is important. The identity of her birth father is important. And it's stuff that's revealed over the course of like 150 chapters or, and stuff like that. But... The first time we find out that there is something going on with, you know, her history, her backstory uh, is in like chapter 20 or something like that. It's around the time that we meet her family, find out that her dad is a Yakuza boss. And there's a really weird moment leading into this that's a little bit before it where 
um basically she's told like yeah you know as a mafia boss your dad probably had some people killed and she's really you know disturbed and upset by this idea and ogami acts all smug about it you know not smug about her dad having done this but smug at her being disturbed by this thought and it's like why are you smug about this that is exactly the way I would expect someone who has a tremendous code against killing to react when they hear that their father has killed people. Like, that's not inconsistent character. Everything else she does is inconsistent character. You're just choosing the wrong time to react with this way. Yeah. But then uh, she ends up like, I think she saves one of the people that she, she saves the assassin, I think. And then she bites him for some reason. Didn't get that. She bites him. <laughs> yeah, I guess because that shows how warm he is. It's it's another one of her weird can, philosophy things. Feel, yeah, it's so weird. So after all this goes down, um, I think it's uh, Ogami and uh, to to what's his fucking Toki. name? Toki. Toki. I know because I, I keep wanting to like be like it's me, Toki. Toki's photoof. Oh, it's plays the guitar. Uh, so he, the two of them are hanging around the facility and they're kind of like, connect, they're talking with uh, Sakura's parents and finding out a little bit about what she was like as a child. They're going through photo albums and stuff and they bring up, hey, how come there's like no photos of you from before you were like five years old? And Sakura's like, because those don't exist because I was adopted when I was like five. And when she says this, she says it within this big two page spread where it's just her face and she's turning to look over her shoulder at Ogami is like, because I'm adopted. And it's like, that becomes important later, but it's not important now. (laughs) Why is that such a huge deal that she goes, because I'm adopted. (laughs) Cause then it creates mystery of where she's from. Cause she's this rare kind that at that point, there was only one of them in the series. And it's we haven't yet met her father who dresses up in a stupid fucking mascot costume and I fucking hate him and he doesn't show up and he says I'm neutral. Meanwhile, there's like fucking like crazy murderers and shit like that running all over the place. But it's it's a very important thing that he's neutral. (sighs) Nick, I fucking hate this series. Okay, it is a plot point that the art in this series is fucking horrendous. I haven't even talked about that yet. The art in this series is one of the worst I've ever seen. Every character looks fucking identical, and it has the same shit with Bleach. They're all, they all have the exact same face. They all have a pointed chin, drawn-up face, same kind of nose, same eyes. It's just their hair that's different. And it is literally a plot point, because at one point they're investigating Rui's car, like the car accident that killed her family, and they're like, Ogami was the one who did it and they're like oh no ogami did it but it turns out it wasn't ogami it was a character who is not at all ogami but just looked like him and the only fucking same thing that they have is the stupid pointed chin which every fucking character has and this series is so ugly and disgusting to look at and it's part of the reason why it is so goddamn exhausting to get through uh I, I didn't really even talk about fucking Nene. Okay, so she's... <laughs> I don't understand her and what makes it... So all all Codebreakers have, like, limits to their power, and when they use yes. it up... They I was go, waiting to bring this point up. They go, yes. they, they go into what is called a lost form. So 
like, for example, Toki's lost form, he looks like a little kid. Yuki's lost form looks like a cat. Uh, we meet various other characters of different types, and we Ogami see... Ogami gets a cold, which is just like, you're getting off easy, aren't you? <laughs> so... Yeah. Uh, we don't find out some of theirs. A lot of them are very goofy. Some of them are just used for fan service and things like that. Like, if Sakura uses up all of her power, she shrinks, and the only thing you can see is, like, her basically shrinking out of her bra for some reason. That's always the shot yeah. that's used. But they there's to- uh, Toki's sister, who supposedly was killed, but she's still alive. And she's a student at their school. Yes. And she just keeps feeling up Sakura. She grabs her boobs. She has nicknames for each boob. It's so weird. By the way, specifically the way that she is talked about in the story is weird because when Sakura first sees Toki, she recognizes that he is heterochromatic and has hair the same color as her. This character that she is very familiar with because she won't stop feeling up her boobs. Mm -hmm. Uh, And she doesn't have a problem with this at all whatsoever, of course, because why would she? Nope. Uh, And so she makes that observation and is like, is that your sister? And they're like, no, it's not a sister. And then it's like, well, there's this character. uh, And then and uh, so and she's my sister. Oh, and also, she's a former code breaker. And who is that? Oh, it's the girl who has the same last name as me that's at your school. <laughs> it seems as though they're trying to imply, because it's also when they sort of talk about the fact that code breakers can't have, like, friends or family or things like that. So when she's, like, they talk to her, like, oh, I met your brother Toki. She's like, I don't have a brother. And, and fucking Sakura's like, hey, there must be some family fight going on between you two, and I think you should wrap it up. Toki's basically like kind of looks off wistfully and sad and it's like oh it's because he's not allowed to have a family really because he's he's this member of this organization that's not supposed to exist so he doesn't exist but then that stops really mattering because she also, hangs out with them all the fucking time also Toki's power is magnetism and one of the first times we see Nene playing with Sakura's boobs she takes two magnets to find the underwire in her bra mm-hmm. it's like do you want to be more obvious about this point? <laughs> so yes, she 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 was a former codebreaker. She gave her magnetism power to Toki when she died, but she didn't die. She apparently went into her lost form, which for her is just her current form, but with the brain of a child. Which is so gross when you think about the fact that she gets sexualized so frequently in that form. But then when she occasionally can sometimes it, it there's no consistency to when it can happen. Sometimes she can get out of her lost form just to like enter into a dramatic scene. And then sometimes she can get out of it when she just needs to be a villain in a scene. But again, I don't know what was supposed to have happened back then, because supposedly your power is your life. Like literally it's charged by your life energy. And she put all of it into Toki and or she didn't she only put half in and then she died it's very convoluted and stupid and it also seems to ignore a major rule of the series the whole thing with Hitomi the codebreaker one where he's like look if we keep using our powers we all reach a point where our powers basically break it's called code end because everything needs a name it's called code end and we just die 
and it's, it just doesn't happen again in the series. <laughs> it's just like, it seems like a weird thing to have brought up and characters are frequently using their powers to the limit all the time. And no one's ever like, Oh no, I'm going to reach code end. I like, it's just this weird thing where they were like, we need a sad story for Toki, but I don't want to kill off her hot, his hot sister <laughs> because I want to use her for things. Yeah. So the series is stupid. Uh, there are, I I struggle to think of something that I think of positively in this. Like, even when it kind of stumbled ass backwards into something that I thought was kind of cool, it would then immediately ruin it. Uh, Every character is unlikable. Every character. Toki is, is the one character that I didn't immediately go, this guy is always awful. But even with him... In his uh, in his lost form, he's a little pervert mm-hmm. because he's a little kid now, and so he can get away with groping boobs. And it's like, I know you're actually a teenager. She knows you're actually a teenager. Why is she okay with this? Oh, well, I guess she's okay with your sister doing this too. So, uh, but he does the thing when he's in his uh, lost form where he can't use his magnetism ability now, so he has to use his other skills. So he does this thing where he take he just fights with a pair of pistols and he's super good with them. And uh, got, there's a sniper in a building behind bulletproof glass who's sniping at them. And so Toki just puts on an eye patch and, he's, and he explains later, like, I've got absurdly good vision in this eye, so I put an eye patch over this eye so I can so I can have super awesome vision. And he, as the sniper shoots at them, he fires with his pistol and shoots the bullet out of the air and sends it back to the guy and kills him. And so for all of one panel, I was like, that's amazingly stupid and awesome. But then there's an explosion for no reason at all. (laughs) So then I'm like, why is there an explosion? This is stupid. There was one character I kind of liked, too. He was the one member of the Recodes, Koji. His power is vacuum, and he's the one Toki hates for a while. And I was like, this character's cool because he barely says anything. He's just cool and kicks ass, basically. He can't sound stupid if he doesn't say anything. But then he says something, basically. (laughs) There's, like, a scene where, like, Opa is trying to attack Ogami and kill him and take his arm. And then she has, like, a bunch of minions and fucking... Koji just defeats them all in one strike and it turns out they were all women and then he basically is like women don't have a place on the battlefield you should get out of here and they're like that's not cool Koji <laughs> like that's not the cool thing and then they- imagine that that's just his only line in the entire series <laughs> well then you find out he's pretty misogynistic because he-, he also was a mentor figure to Rui the one female like code breaker who was a member of recode previously like he met her when she was a young child and she was like I want you to teach me and unprompted by anything she cuts her hair off and she's like I won't e- I'll give up being a girl and he's like I didn't say anything about that so I don't know why really <laughs> kind of feels like a- something you did but he's like no I won't be your teacher I'll be your comrade. And if you want to learn something, you have to steal it from me, basically by watching. It's like kind of a sweet moment. But then later on, he's like, you know, you should really grow out your beautiful hair. Like, all right. It's kind of a weird comment. But end of the series, they're adults now. She basically says something like, hey, why don't we get together? And he's like, I've got to go off on this journey. But how about you keep growing out that long, beautiful hair of yours? And when I come back, 
Then we'll see. And it's like, and then, why do then you... I'll be pregnant and you can make me dinner. Yeah, and then you will throw out all your shoes because you're never going to need them anymore. You will be barefoot in my... I'm going to staple your... I'm going to be like a like a little chain chomp, like fucking chain. And I'll keep you in the kitchen. That's all you're going to be. You're going to give birth to all of my children in that kitchen. I love how you wanted to say he keeps her chained up. So you went to the most innocent possible version of that was, <laughs> I'll, I'll put a chain chomp chain on you. <laughs> Yeah, she'd have to ground pound it three times to get rid of that chain. Uh, I, it's, it's such a dumb fucking series. I it's hate it. Dumb, like I said, it's dumb at its at, in just in terms of like its structure and its core, like its tone. It's totally inconsistent because it can't decide whether this is a dark and edgy series or it's a wacky series or it's super serious. And it's not even a matter of like, oh, sometimes it shifts between the two. No, it doesn't know what it's going for. It doesn't know what Sakura's place in the series is, despite the fact that she is heavily involved in a lot of it because she's like, you know, the audience point of view character for a lot of it. The character interactions are almost always just completely nonsensical there's all this super edgy stuff that is way dumber than it thinks that it is uh and when it gets away with that is to go to school life bullshit which is even worse so i don't think that this is the worst series we've covered for this september but it might be the one that i have the least positive things to say because every other series I could at least because I was you know going through them closely I could be like okay there's a little bit here and there that I could see working in a series that is overall better with this one I don't want to salvage anything yeah it's all garbage burn it to the ground nothing good is coming of this and if there are any Sakura Sakura Kojis out there who think that all manga are worth preserving you're wrong (laughs) so yeah, like at first there was like a lot of concern when we pick like when I named this series last year as like the thing they were like, oh, I hope they pick something better because that that series isn't that bad. And look, there are probably series with more like things you could go off on rants about. There are probably series that are just dumber than this one. But this one is like a perfect storm of just detestable goop. I can't describe it any worse than that. It, it's something where as you read it, it just gets longer without anything happening and it gets more boring and more hideous. And then it eventually just ends in a very like weak, wet fart. And you're like, cool. I wasted my life reading. Like I've wasted there's a portion of this series. I will never get back. Basically is the only real afterthought I had. And, um, I don't know. Part of me is like it's worse than Code or uh, than Air Gear because at least Air Gear had the start, which was kind of good. This never is good, uh, but at the same time, it doesn't have Obama turning into a high school girl, which is a lot right. more memeable. So maybe maybe that's something to bank on. I don't know. Oh great, it's got another series running, and we've shown in magazine right now. It's. Uh... <laughs> All right, let's talk about the series this week because <laughs> we're gonna just d- d- get off there. We're flipping the tracks right now. No, no, no buildup. My Hero Academia, chapter two hundred eighty-five. Uh, 
I think it's called Bakugo Rising or Katsuki Bakugo Rising. That's yeah. one of those stupid things where it puts the title at the end of the chapter instead. Yeah. Where it actually occurred. So it's the fight with Shigaraki. Deku uh, has just recalled, oh, right, I hurt my fucking arm during this battle. And he remembers, oh, right, I was warned not to fuck up my arms anymore because they could be permanently injured and unusable. Fighting him anyway. And uh, his limbs are all messed up. Uh, He keeps on punching and kicking uh, Shigaraki. There's just this one panel that's just very, very comic booky. Just, you know, impact uh, noises as he's flying around Shigaraki. You can only cover up. He's launching different smashes all in one go. Uh, Shigaraki uh, realizes I'm getting hurt faster than I can heal. Uh, And so... He's like, you know, not just my imperfect body, but also one for all is getting in the way of my dreams. And he puts his hand out towards Deku uh, and Deku just says, well, that's what this power is for. And he he does another smash. I don't see exactly what he does, but he says Texas smash. And there's this huge impact sound in the middle of the air. And it looks like Deku's fucked himself up even more because there's more blood flying out of him. He's grimacing in pain. Shigaraki goes somewhere. He goes somewhere. He goes somewhere. (laughs) Uh, Manuel uh, down on the ground, who is, of course, still tending to Aizawa along with Todoroki, is like, oh, wow, Deku's doing great. He's going crazy up there. But Bagu just says, he's going to lose if he keeps this up. He is, you know... He's got all these quirks that he's got going on. He is doing everything that he possibly can to keep Shigaraki in the air, but he couldn't finish him off. And now it's an endurance match and he can't last forever against a guy who can just regenerate. He's going to be destroyed. He's going to be turned to dust. He's going to have his power taken from him. So uh, he calls over to Todoroki. uh, He's like, hey, you done with the first aid? Grab hold of me. Endeavor. We're going to put you up in the air don't use your fire to fly and Todoroki you use your ice to keep him cool down so that he can unleash as much power as possible and there's like we're just going to let him just try and finish this guy off in one big blast Rock Lock is very concerned uh, but he knows that uh, all these people are capable because of course he's worked with Deku before uh, in, the, in the big overhaul arc they fly up into the air Bakugo starts having flashbacks and he starts reflecting on uh, conversations that he's had, the conversation he had with All Might about uh, his about uh, the nature of one for all, and then he starts having flashbacks further to when he tormented Deku, to when the two of them both looked up to All Might and seeing him save people and stuff like that, and then he goes further ahead to when they had that first big test against each other when Deku's mask got ripped open and it was the best thing that ever happened to his hero design costume costume (laughs) design. (laughs) And Deku vowed, I'm not going to be your worthless punching bag forever. I'm the Deku who always does his best. And now Bakugo can see Deku in the present. And yeah, he's doing his best and he's basically killing himself in order to do it. Deku has basically got Shigaraki out at the end of his black whip at this moment, as if, you know, he's a taut yo-yo. So that's their big moment. Todoroki and Bakugo send Endeavor up 
Endeavor grapples onto uh, Shigaraki from behind and like this proper full Nelson. And he basically self-destructs. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Just a big old, oh, he's going to die. <laughs> uh, he calls it prominence burn. We see Shigaraki's face basically being incinerated. It's insanely brutal. Just It looks like all the skin is going to burn off of his skull. But at that very moment, the voice of All for One that we saw, you know, kind of was in there with Shigaraki, reaches out towards Shigaraki and says, Tamora, lend me your body. So that didn't finish Shigaraki off, obviously. And Endeavor is suddenly impaled by three tendrils coming out of Shigaraki. Shigaraki's bald now because... Oh, he's just a bot. He's a mummy at this point. He's like a shriveled up, like, burnt corpse. He, yeah, is essentially has been burnt to a cinder. And Endeavor says, how are you not dead yet? Yeah, good question. <laughs> and, like, everybody's like, yes, yeah, come on. How, how is he not dead yet? This, this is crazy. It's uh, actually kind of makes me think that like, oh, you know, all for one reaching out to Shigaraki saying, hey, let me let me your body. And now Shigaraki actually looks a hell of a lot like all for one with yeah. the uh, burnt up face and stuff. Shigaraki says little brother while reaching out for Deku, since, of course, he's now the vessel of one for all. And we get narration saying uh, from Bakugo saying at that moment, there were no thoughts in my head. As we get, you know, this kind of like sequence of, you know, Bakugo tor- tormenting Deku, Deku reaching out for Bakugo, trying to save him. And Bakugo just says, my body just moved on its own as he flies through the air and checks Deku out of the way and the tendrils impale him instead. And that's the chapter. Bakugo has potentially sacrificed himself to save Deku. He certainly took the blow for Deku to, yeah. to save his ass. So, so I, I, this is something I need to ask because I'm dumb when it comes to my hero. I was reading some thoughts about this. Is that <laughs> what he's doing is what force activation tendrils? Yes, there was definitely some discussion and some confusion about exactly what, uh, all for one is trying to accomplish by doing this um, because those are the 10. The last time we saw these tendrils, they were specifically to forcefully activate other people's quirks. If that is what they're trying to do, I don't know. Uh, but there is also the possibility that this is a way to steal the quirks. Maybe they work in more than just one respect. Okay. Either way, um, there is th- pointy things sticking out of Bakugo yes. and Endeavor's torso, so it's it's not a good thing that's happening. No, to it's not a good thing. My thought was that if it's forced activation, does this just mean Bakugo's explosions are going to go off and maybe swallow? Or yeah, like swallow up the both of them. Like Deku gets knocked away, but he's going to take out all for one in Shigaraki's body just with a gigantic explosion. Regard, I look. This is a big chapter. I've heard some people say this is like the Ace Dies chapter of this series. I'm not going to buy that this is Bakugo being killed or even him having his quirk taken. It Mm. would be a very ballsy move, but 
for that exact reason, I'm highly skeptical. Bakugo is one of the most popular characters in the series. It would be a crazy thing, I feel like, to get rid of him. So in my mind, I'm like, it feels like there'd be too much convincing to say, like, mm, he makes more money than alive than he does dead. Yeah. So in my mind, I'm skeptical and pessimistic, but it's still a cool moment. I mean, it, it's crazy, you know, and it's a great moment for Bakugo. He looks cool, and it's a great, like, homage to the first chapter of the series, too, where Deku did it for, for Bakugo and the whole yeah. my body just moved on its own thing. Uh, people did point out it's uh, someone on our discord server pointed out that if Baku ends up having his quirk taken away by this, it would be a nice uh, turning of the tables from the beginning of the series where Deku was quirkless and Baku was the super talented one. So, uh, but I guess we're just going to have to find out exactly what the consequences are from this as the chapter stands. It's definitely something that's like, wow, okay, that definitely got my attention. There are a few moments in it that I think are really cool, but it does suffer a little bit from what the fuck just happened there. Itis that uh, this fight in general has been having issues with uh, from time to time. Uh, but I did like it and I do like some of the individual shots in the fight, you know, like Deku wailing on Shikaraki, uh, the big the uh, effects of she- on Shikaraki's body when uh, Endeavor uses the prominence burn. And uh, just, of course, the big uh, headbutt of headbutt of salvation i guess we'll call it so yeah i liked it a lot though uh really good chapter all right nick let's talk about eden zero chapter 112 when you live life on a ship and it's got a big two-page color spread where we see all the different characters and it's very cool very Um, chibi yep So we've left Red Cave officially now. We're back into space. Everyone's kind of talking about the little thing they have now. You know, this this lacrima that has all of Mother's power into it. We found out they have to go for these different relics. Uh, before we really address what the crew's going to do next, uh, Weiss is just like, Oi, can we stop letting members of Dracon Joe's team onto our crew? Because we've got like three of them now. There are a couple of jokes in this chapter that did make me laugh. Like there's... It not all of them hit, but there are a few that do. Yeah. So, uh, so clean and Jen are basically like, look, we're going to leave as soon as we care clean. That's it. So why is like, right, why are you still here? And Laguna's like, I'm going to be here because of the promise I made with, with a uh, witch. Uh, I'm going to be here until I find a comfortable place to live because I'm wanted in the, uh, the soccer cosmos. So that's, that's the deal. Basically. Um, the three of uh, Shiki has a thing where he's like, cool, that makes us friends. And then both of them just leave <laughs> as his hands out. He's like, oh, yeah. Laguna just t- turns away. So he tr- he turns to uh, to Gene uh, instead and Jean turns away too. <laughs> he's just like, no, <laughs> uh, the four shining stars are like, hey, can we we're going to keep calling you the Demon King. Shiki's like, but that's what you called grandpa. And they're like, yeah, but your grandpa's an asshole. So now you're the Demon King. Uh, and then Shiki's like, mm, I like Magitek King better. So I guess well, that's they, they have a whole they have a whole explanation for why. And they do play around with like the word for demon also means magic. So that's why he's going to call himself that. It's like, all right, you know, it's a little bit weird and it feels like it should have been a bigger deal when they are explaining what it means to be the demon king than just throwing it around out on one mm. page like this. But yeah, we go over to the owl cosmos. We see uh, Elsie's ship is sailing around, and then Justice's like fleet is right behind her. And they're like, "How did we get rid of them?" Jesse, get rid of them. Oh wait, 
Jesse, you're a traitor. This character not Jesse. Yeah, this how could Jesse do this? Jesse, who has been with Elsie since, you know, um, <laughs> she's always been here. <laughs> uh, apparently, Jesse betrayed them, but she he didn't actually get to betray them because Elsie has known he's been a traitor for like a month now, and she's not going to get rid of him because she she's like she's just a kid, and there are two members of the group of Elsie's crew go in and uh Hyoga who are like we made it so any information he did send didn't actually get anywhere and then they're like you should stop letting fucking idiots like like traitors onto the crew and she's like nope because I was allowed on a ship when I was a kid so I'm gonna let anybody else join and then they release Jesse and that's the whole thing so th- that happened they're gonna go to Forrester Everyone talks about how much the food there is really good. It happens like four different times. Characters like, the food on this planet's good. Hey, I heard the food on this planet's going to be really good. Laguna says, basically, he's like, look, I'm just going to get off this planet because no one here really wants me, like, there. So I'm just going to get off there. Then they say it's a planet that's going to be good. And then Rebecca says it's a planet with good food. Everyone just says it, and that's pretty much the entirety of the conversation. They're like, hey. It's weird because we get a segment of the chapter where it's like, we're going to cut around to different parts of the ship and see the different conversations that are happening. And they're all having the same conversation. So. Yeah. Uh, there's a small moment where they're like, hey, the Eden Zero went to this planet originally way back in the day. It must be because there was a relic on the planet. And they're like, yep. But there's also Master Xenolith, instructor in the Magitech arts. He's known as the founder of Gravity Ether Gear Tactics. And this was his home planet. So Shiki's like, ooh, we're going to be friends. And someone like Herbert's like, he died a thousand years ago. It's it's honestly it's kind of funny. the funniest joke that's happened in Eden Zero. Where he's just like, Wait, we can be- he died a thousand years ago. <laughs> And then we end the chapter on Forresta being introduced to three new characters who work underneath uh, Poseidon Nero, who's another one of those emperors we found out about. These are Brittany, Orc, and Mora, who are members of Team Beast, and it looks like they're going to purge the planet of all robots. Brittany, Orc, and Mora sounds like a... 90s pop group oh yeah doesn't it yeah britney ork and mora with their new hit purge <laughs> purge, purge, purge the planet <laughs> a weird pop song but I'll, I'll be curious to hear it oh it's time to purge the planet <laughs> baby i'm so down to purge the planet with you god uh this was a chapter yeah uh, there were a couple of jokes that in it that i did like but for the most part, it was a chapter um, there. Are, it's really weird week to read in zero because there are. It's very frequent that there will be an idea that I like in theory, but that was just not very good in, in execution. Um, the stuff with Elsie's crew, I think the idea is strong that, like, you know, she's this very open person. And even though someone betrays uh, her. Uh, she's just like, oh, it's all right. And just, you know, lets them go. Um, she just always, you know, takes the very open hearted route kind of. Uh, I think that her these two crew members that got um, spotlighted are stupid. Yes. Uh, though. Um, and uh, then there is the whole thing, with, like I said, with, you know, and explain the Magimac King, the Demon King thing uh, could have been a bigger deal. And could have also just been a cooler explanation in general, because they're just like, by the way, 
uh, it's that it, it it's demon, but it's also magic. So that's why it's like, oh, OK, I'm fine with it. then. it's like, I mean, you could have made a much bigger deal out of this, you know, yeah. like there there could have been such a big thing out of Shiki being reluctant to take up this position after finding out what happened with Ziggy. And then, you know, it could have been a big triumphant moment where he decides to, you know, take up that position and decide, you know, he's going to do something positive with it. Mm. And so he's just like, well, imagine my king sounds cool. And that's kind of yeah. it. So It's just that. All right. Let's talk about Chainsaw Man. Chapter 86. Date Chainsaw. Porco Benny. Poor girl. She fucked up getting Denji his order twice. So she's crying about that now and apologizing. And suddenly her boss just goes, is this a hidden camera break? (laughs) Is someone filming us right now? And he just goes, there's no way she'd trip twice, right? We're being punked. This can't be happening. Yeah, there's no way you'd be this fucking clumsy. Just no way. When two of his co-workers are dead. And, of course, he gets his head cut off after being upset about this. And Kobeni manages to keep it together or put it back together, both herself and the hamburger that's fallen apart. And she just reaches on the ground and she just picks up the different parts of the hamburger and goes, puts it in front of Denji. It's like sliding apart and stuff. And Denji... Picks up the the burger and he does it look like he gets any meat. It looks like he grabbed pure bun and just ate that. He's like best burger of my life. You know what? If you like it, you like it. I guess the chainsaw man recalls something else that Denji wanted when uh, back before he transformed, which was he wanted to go on a date with a girl so bad. Denji looks over at Kobe (laughs) and immediately I was like, oh, no. Or you know it, he's walking off with with her wrapped up in his organ scarf or whatever it is. And hey, look, there's a soft serve ice cream truck over there. And the guy inside of it's not running. So presumably when he cuts it up afterwards, the guy's dead. I mean, I don't see any blood coming out, but I mean, I don't know how the guy could survive that. No. And so <laughs> what's great about it is that Denji's got some ice cream and Kobeni's got some ice cream and she's licking it while she cries and she's like, it doesn't taste like anything. (laughs) Then they go to the game center. They're going to play some DDR. Won't that be fun? Yep. And a devil hunter shows up and he's like, oh, I got a dispatch. You're a pretty strong looking devil. Don't be afraid. It's safe now that I'm here. Cut to over to Kobeni. Cut back to the eye. He's dead. <laughs> He's dead. <laughs> he immediately. It's it's probably my only like real like it's like my favorite moment of the chapter. This dude being like, "Guess I'll take care of this devil." And no, like just a shot of his uh, like cut off head next and just walking away. Like that dude felt so confident. <laughs> Kobeni is deposited in front of. Not Dance Dance Revolution. It's called Dance Dance Mushroom for some reason. I don't know. And she looks over it. And of course, then she goes, Bounce! Bounce! And Kobeni gets the idea. <laughs> and there's actually kind of an adorable, because she's like, Dance! And then she's like, just 
big nod of the head. <laughs> so she's like, but you need to put in money to dance. Then she goes over to the coin machine. Here's some money. She starts to protest. Doesn't really finish the protest. And she's dancing. And she's brilliant. At she's, it. she's killing it. Step, step, one, two, one, two. And then she seemingly leaves immediately because she's just left alone on the pad dancing and screaming and stuff. And, of course, there's a guy just bleeding behind her who's dead. And then she's gone. Good job, Kobani. You survived. You made it. <laughs> For now. <laughs> Denji's on a roof somewhere now. I don't know. Uh, Makima says, I s- it seems we've been noticed and steps out of somewhere. I don't know. She's fine, of course. And then she calls out, come out, everyone. And seven figures appear. And we know who some of them are. For example, the angel devil is there. And Ray's. Wait, is the angel devil's there? Isn't that the third one from the the third one? The second one to the left? No, that's someone new, I think. The one one with like the spiky white hair? I thought their hairstyles were similar. And also the fact that, you know, they have like the the hands not in the sleeves kind of made me think. But I I guess it makes sense. I think so. I think it's the only ones I knew was I think that's the octopus guy. Uh, it could be, but I, I don't think he's got the right scar. Maybe so. it's not. I, I that's that was someone who I was like, and then I was like, I obviously recognized Reze and Quan Chi or whatever her name is. And uh, so there are yeah seven of these people who are with with Makima, and you know they each get you know a little quip at the beginning, mostly about how awesome Makima is and how much they love her, and how Reze and Quan Chi desperately want to fuck her like pretty much explicitly because they're just like oh mocking would be so bored if she went on a date with a man right and Quan is just like putting her hand over makima's crotch basically so they are desperately in love with her presumably all seven some people and i forget who it was but I, someone in the discord server pointed out that Makima oh uh, the said- Sorry, the the one dude I'm also not recognizing that someone pointed out is uh, the sword guy. The uh, the guy who was the sword devil. Oh, the sword devil guy, yeah. Those, the, the last three are all hybrids that we've met before. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone pointed out that uh, Makima has seven dogs, and so potentially these seven are just her dogs. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't know. Maybe. It would make sense. Well, Some people are like kind of seeing similarities. There were three girls mm-hmm. uh, or three different colored dogs. There are three girls within this group or characters who at least we know two of them are female and then one who could be. Um, maybe I like the theory that there's the possibility of having Reze, the Katana guy and uh, I guess whatever arrow girl, whatever her she was all there because of Denji eats them. It's three less weapons to use against Makima, because then hmm. then explosions cease to exist, blades cease to exist, projectiles I guess cease to exist. Jeez, that'd be weird. I kind of like that idea. It'd be kind of cool. Um, I don't know, but we're gonna have a big fight right now. It seems like so. 
Yeah. We went away from horrible slaughter to having a nice, fun visit to, to Kobani, and now we're back to it. This is so weird. It's so weird. But, but yeah, it's been... It That was fun, yes. and now it's probably going to get awesome again. So All right. I believe we are next on to Magu-chan. Uh-huh. Yeah, okay. Our, our new series. Chris. What? What? What it's, hap- it's happening, Nick. What are you doing? Accept it. I don't want to look. I'm not the bearer of no, bad news. No, shut up. Shut but up. I'm not. I'm not Chris, denying it either. Anyone hasn't dropped yet. It's not. We don't know. Shut up. <laughs> it's happening, guys. Accept it. There's new series coming soon. We don't know. Shut up. Just because <laughs> Magu-chan has been falling further and further and further to the back of the magazine doesn't mean anything. <laughs> doesn't mean anything. Yep. It's it's gonna it's gonna keep going. This is a new uh, series. New member of the big three. Uh, to be serious about the potential matter of stuff that might get canceled mm-hmm. and stuff that might not. Um, not to get far ahead of ourselves, but Ayakashi Triangle has gotten a color page this week, which is definitely always a good sign. Mashal is going to get a color page again coming soon. So that's just doing really well in general. Uh, in terms of the very new stuff, Ayakashi Triangle's first volume drops in two days. Okay. Uh, Magu-chan debuted the week after Ayakashi Triangle. So presumably its first volume, which I don't think has, uh, uh, it's been announced when it's going to be dropping. It should probably be soon after that. And pretty damn shortly after that, we'll probably find out if those series that were released around that time, those two, um, Maury King, Hardboiled Cop and, Dol- and Dolphin, yeah, uh, and Maury King. Well, Maury King came out. Ma- Maury King was a bit earlier. I, I'm just saying, if you're looking out for series that are going to be ending soon, Maury King is also a very big reality, probably. Right. So, yeah, the the so those are the ones where it's like, okay, we'll probably find out how well Ayakashi Triangle sells pretty damn soon. Um, and honestly, it's Kentaro Yabuki series. It probably won't be cut right away. I think that they want it to succeed. Um, but everything else we'll probably know before we know. Yeah. Like uh, there will be information about how well it's the first volume sells and stuff like that. And then the writing will basically be on the wall for Magu and and all these others and stuff. So. Yeah. Uh, a Gravity Boys looks like it might be starting a final arc, but who knows? Because a Gravity mm-hmm. Boys is always a joke. So yeah. you never really know what they're getting into. Uh so it's a little tongue in cheek, but I, I would not be shocked if we're seeing the end of uh, Magu Chan by the end of the year. A lot of people have been kind of making peace with it uh, on the Discord server, saying like it's not a series that needs to last forever. I would like it to, but it's you know mm-hmm. it's 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 something that's like okay, you know if it ends soon, it's like that was good. I'm glad that it w- that it happened. It's not like it set itself up for you know a huge long running story arc that was never realized. Yeah, so it'd be a very different thing if Magu Chan like like at the end of this chapter was like, and I shall be the best race car driver in the world. That's my dream. Then you'd be like, oh, this is a little sad. Oh out. man, he never gets to drive his race. It's <laughs> never gonna get to that race car. <laughs> so in this chapter, uh chapter 13, Providential Uneris, uh the Holy Knight <laughs> Izuma returns and he issues a challenge to Magu-chan. 
And he is immediately escorted off of the school grounds because he's trespassing. So they're like, so we'll meet somewhere else. We'll we'll meet somewhere else for the showdown. Uh, And then they get like a messenger pigeon with like details over it and stuff like that. Uh, And so Rue was just like, well, we've been summoned. Bye, guys. I got to (laughs) go. This leaves her friends very confused about what's just happened. And they're like, did that boy just ask her out? Are they going on a date? What's happening? <laughs> so, so Izuma says, we are going to settle this and I'm going to set the fair maiden free. And Ruru's like, hi, Izuma, how are you doing? Just completely, completely ignorant of what's going on. But Magu knows what's really happening here because he has sensed the presence of someone he has not seen in hundreds of years. And he demands that they reveal themselves. I know you are there, Uneris. You disgrace us higher beings by siding with lowly humans. And the messenger pigeon starts to chuckle. And then a little capsule on the messenger pigeon's foot opens up and some globules come out and start to form into a cross shape, which then forms into an eighth generation Pokemon. It really is. I was like, mm, the the designs of uh, these chaos gods are getting less and less iconic with each one. This is definitely like middle form of a three stage psychic or fairy evolution. I'm right here. I mean, I do like the design, but yeah, it is definitely like Magu was just a blob. Naputaku was a starfish and she's like she's got the hair and she's got wings and a heart bottom and a star so she's much considerably more uh, complicated Mm -hmm. so uh, she is another one of the gods of chaos but unlike the other gods of chaos she gave a hint to the holy knights about the seal which is what caused all of Magu's suffering and so he's really pissed off that she has returned and he wants to blow her up and stuff like that but uh, she points out that this tiny form that she's in is not her true form. Her true form is being held by the Holy Knight somewhere. And so she's got um, this is just basically the equivalent of a morphalaxis that Magu would have. So instead of like, oh, her power hasn't returned. That's why she's small. It's, oh, well, this is not all of her. So that she can still be a tiny Pokemon, basically. Uneris introduces herself to Ruru, and then she says, I shall now demonstrate my power, pulsing providence. And Ruru is reacting in shock as this you know, huge ring of energy appears, and Magu says, She alters the laws of nature and infuses substances with magic, refining them into magical items. And ominously, she's, Uneris declares, Allow me to thank you for taking care of Izuma the other day. This is from me. She hands Ruru a tin of cookies. Holy night cookies! It's the good kind, too. It's the mm-hmm. kind that, uh, you know, come in the tin that uh, grandmas use for their sewing supplies. So. Mm-hmm. That means it's made with a lot of butter. Yes. Yes. But, oh my god, they're so soft and they just crumble in your mouth. They're wonderful. Maybe I was just poor. Because I feel like anytime I got cookies for a tin, I was like, these cookies suck and are stale. And I think I, don't, I wasn't getting good ones. I think I was just getting the, the cookies that they were like, just throw a hundred of these in a tin. Maybe I just like them so much because they 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 didn't have chocolate in, mm. in them. So I'm just like, oh, I can eat all of these awesome. <laughs> yeah, that might be it too. Uh, banter happens. Magu's like, what are you plotting? And Uneris. <sighs> I got it. So Uneris says, I have no plot. 
there's only one reason I sided with the Holy Knights. And I'm not making this up. This is what it's actually she actually says. It's because I stand them. And Magu and Ru are equally surprised by her choice of words. And she's just like, yeah, so, you know, a holy knight came to vanquish me 600 years ago. But the way that he bravely stood up to me, I couldn't help but think he was totes and orbs. So she's decided to help the holy knights. And that's it. So Izuma's like, I'm not thrilled about having to work with, you know, a god of destruction. But now behold her power. My magic item! And it's like a toy magic wand, like one of those things that's overly expensive, but you gotta get, you know, your your female cousin likes some Sailor Moon merch, so you spend 40 bucks on this thing where, you know, you touch three different buttons on it, and it just lights up the, the scepter in the yeah. exact same way, but it makes a slightly different sound effect each time. That, that appears in his hands. And uh, he comes after Ruru, and then Ruru... Uh, not after Ruru, sorry, after Maga and Ruru is like, what are you doing with that? That's 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 a little girl's toy. And Izuma apparently didn't know this. So he's just like, what are you doing, Aeneas? And Aeneas is like, what? Don't you like it? I mean, you know, you had that huge sword, so I figured you were a giant otaku who was an anime <laughs> So then she's like, all right, I'll, I'll summon another magic item for you. Here, a magic teapot. Here, a magic eye mask that induces sleep. Here, an HD mini camera so you never miss a single moment. <laughs> it's like, that's not even magic. Uh, and eventually, like, she, he's just starts to argue with her. Rue, meanwhile, has grabbed the teapot and they're having a tea break with the cookies that Daenerys gave her. Eventually, Izuma's just like, I'll just use this fan that I have. It's not even a magic item that Daenerys got him for him. It's just a fan, like a cool yourself down hand fan. So he starts to, after arguing with, with Uneris a little bit more, he starts to fight Magu while Uneris sits with, with Ruru and starts to film the fight. And she says, you've teamed up with the God of Destruction, Magu Minuku, yet you don't discriminate against Izuma for fighting him, and I've never encountered such a strange human. And Ruru explains by saying, well, it's, it's just easier to be, to be friendly rather than fight. And anyway, I think the two of them get along pretty well. So after observing that, and Eris is just like, you're strange. Magu says, you're pretty strange yourself. I didn't know gods also watched anime. You put it that way. <laughs> so like, are you kidding me? It's the best form of entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> but but Rue has got the magic scepter that she had before. And she's like, oh, man, I always wanted one of these since I was a kid. And Eris is like, I mean, you can have it. you know. So Rue is like, I bet it lights up when you wave it like this. Shoots out a massive explosion that blows Izuma and Magu away. Whoops. <laughs> uh, and Uneris says that, oh, no, the magic I put into these cookies that you ate made your magic power explode. And she goes, oopsie daisy. So that happens. Izuma's down for the day. Uneris is just like, don't worry. I was prepared for him to lose. What doesn't kill him just makes him stronger. And bye. Um, Rue kind of like is grabbing Izuma's corpse and going, no, right when her friends show up and they're like, what the fuck's going on? And then they run off and they're like, Rue's holding a boy that we don't know in her arms. Maybe they had a lover spat. Yeah, he must be your boyfriend. And of course, Ren overhears this poor Ren. So I love this chapter. So I'm happy for you. I think that 
Uneris is a much better uh, character than Naputuku, who is just kind of basic and is there to get his ass kicked. I like how eccentric she is and just how weird she is in terms of like, I decided they were cute, so I ally myself with the Holy Knights and now I make toys for them. So. Yeah, it's just, I don't know. My issue, I guess, with it was I didn't like Magu being the straight man a lot of the time. And I'm just not I'm not a fan of the Holy Knight character, so I don't super yeah. yeah, I don't super love his stuff. It's not bad. It's just one of those chapters where I'm like, eh, sometimes the humor works for me and Magu Chan, sometimes it doesn't. You prefer a character that Magu can bounce off of that also highlights his weirdness, basically. Yeah. Like last chapter I thought was great. This chapter I'm just like, eh, it's okay. It's weird. I almost kind of want Magu to be the only weird element in his series, if that mm. makes sense. Yeah, that might have been kind of that may be kind of a catch twenty two in a way, because like if that's the only thing that's going on, then like, well, there's no variety to the manga, so oh, yeah. don't joke, then but then it's like him being the only weird thing is highlighted by the normalcy around him. So I get you. Yeah. So let's talk about a series we're done with after this chapter. We're done, we're done with this. Our Blood Oath, Chapter Three, Overflowing Love. It's not as bad as the last one, I'll give it that much, but it's not good. Yeah. Um, turns out the vampire boys who are brothers who are on a mission to unite humanity and vampires, uh, turns out they go to a high school together. And they're both going to the same school, even though Ko seems way younger than Sheen. Uh, and Sheen is like one of the two most popular boys in school. And when they're together, girls like to yaoi ship them. Uh, and there's this one girl with glasses who's like, oh, Shin's Hizuki senpai is so, so, so sweet. So, uh, and she's super into him. So into him. So, so, so into him. More girls are into Shin. Uh, Ko comes flying through the air and kicks the other pretty boy in the face when he tries to basically intercept the girls who are after Shin. And Ko says, stop acting like you're friends with my brother, dummy Yama. Because the guy, other guy's name is Nishiyama. So, dummy Yama. Yeah, solid pun, kid. I forgot to fucking anyway, mention during Code Breakers that whenever the small form of Ogami comes up, they call him Chibigami. And that becomes an official title for him. So even bad guys are like, I had to stop you before you became Chibigami. So after observing all of this stuff that happens between very important character Nishiyama and Koenshin, uh, Girl with a Crush uh, stalks Koenshin as they leave the school and go about their day. And are like helping small animals and shopping and stuff like that. And when she gets home, the girl's just like, I'm jealous of Ko because he gets to be with Hizuki Senpai so much every single day. Jealous, jealous, jealous. I'm jealous of the guy's younger brother. And so a vampiric spirit of malice basically possesses her and capitalizes on her jealousy of Ko for being close to the guy she's got a crush on. So at school the next day, Mana is like not feeling so good because, you know, she's possessed by a demon or whatever. And she just thinks like, oh, my God, what have I done? Senpai's good friend. 
I pushed him down the stairs. I wasn't even in control of my body. We didn't see that happen, by the way. We just found out after the fact that Nishiyama was, you know, like he's all bandaged up and stuff like that. Uh, so he's like, yeah, someone pushed him down the stairs. We didn't actually see it happen. I don't know. It would have been interesting happened. to see it happen. Definitely happened now. Happened. So then they're like, hey, you know, Hizuki Senpai, the second year, I hear has a girlfriend in another school. And when school's over, he goes to visit her. No way. No wonder you leave so early. And so instead of Mana going, well, I stalk Hizuki Senpai apparently every single day, and I've never seen him go and visit another girl. Uh, she's just like, I must kill her. Uh, and she's just like, I don't want anyone else to have my senpai. She's full Yandere mode. Mm-hmm. She stalks Ko- Shin again, and she's got an exacto knife because she's going to kill him. Yes. Uh but Shin sees her coming because he is, I guess, sensed the presence of the vampire malice devil thing. And is like, ah, oh, so you've come for me. And Mana's like, you're paying attention to me, senpai. And Shin's like, I'm not your senpai. Give the girl her body back. Beast. And wings explode out of Mana. And Shin is like, oh, a winged possession type. They're trouble when they fly. Yes. That'd what be nice. a Anything with wings life. would be more troublesome when it flies. <laughs> What a great line for this series that has no direction so far. Winged possession type. They're trouble when they fly. It's like having that little you know, Digimon info box. It's a winged possession type of demon. This is- they're trouble when they fly. Sometimes they're called Malice Digimon. Power devils. Because I guess they're also ducks. So it's like Malice and Mallard. Insert duck pun here. <laughs> I don't know. I'm tired today. <laughs> I'm Gabumon. <laughs> like he has to say it because you're like that didn't sound like Gabumon. <laughs> I've run out of clever things to say. It's too much of to think. I'm Gabumon. <laughs> I need a nap. <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> All right, so. Ko comes up behind Mana and cuts the wings off immediately. So, wow, what a terrifying demon. They're very troublesome when they fly, which is why she flew for about 10 feet and then tried to dive bomb Shin and then immediately got her cutter wings cut off. So, good job. The spirit leaves her body and explodes. And then Mana's like, why am I here with Senpai? And then uh, Shin's like, hey, you know what? You know, just for my own peace of mind here take this you know it's a pr- protective charm and uh it can it can actually have you know a, an impact on your physical health so and mana's like oh god i got a present for senpai <laughs> having the devil taken out of me does not decrease how unhealthy my obsession with him is and then ko's like just because he gave you something doesn't mean you should get ahead of yourself so it's like okay calm down you weirdo and Mana's like, do you have a girlfriend, senpai? And Shin's like, no, why? And Ko's like, step off, hussy! Get off of my brother! <laughs> I'll kill you. I'll kill you and your whole family. Uh, and then there's someone who's telling Shin to stay close. Not Then there's someone who's telling Nishiyama to stay close to Shin. It turns out that falling down the stairs didn't actually hurt him at all. And he's working for someone who wants him to stay in contact with the vampire bros. And goodbye forever, our blood oath. I'm never reading you again. (laughs) (laughs) 
Melnick, what if I told you the video no, never... Oh. <laughs> I used that joke in the chat and people got really concerned in the Discord. Like, no! I uh, have another bank. He already used it. We did Bone Collection. And you know what? I'm grateful for the content it generated. But <laughs> Yeah, no, this is just straight garbage. Like, and look, straight garbage is the wrong term. It's just not very good and it's very poorly timed because the flavor that this series kind of really embodies is already being done better by a series that only is two chapters older than it you know like phantom seer does everything our blood oath does with the exception of yaoi bait mm. more than our blood like when blood oath had the girl with the the fucking box cutter walking behind it's like oh it's supposed to be kind of scary i'm like phantom seer is just doing horror better than you at this point you know i mean last week when uh the mirror uh, phantom first revealed itself and you saw the demonic uh reflection of iori i that moment alone nearly made me go, we're adding Phantom Seer back to the recap. Uh, and I think that it's something that we're definitely going to keep in mind, especially as like, you know, we get this next round of cuts coming that we might end up bringing that back in because I have been keeping up reading it since we dropped it. And it is actually pretty damn good. So yeah. I, I was going to say, I was like, Phantom Seer is doing everything better than our blood oath. And to be clear, Phantom Seer is just okay. Like, it's it's yeah. good. It's not amazing, though. It's not like I'm like, it's like leagues better. That's just kind of really showing where our bloat is, where it's like, everything you're doing is being done better by a pretty good series. And that's it, you know? Well, and there's the other problem, is that there are so many series like these in general running right now, that even with Phantom Seer, I have to go, like, objectively, like, you know, it's good. I'm just not usually very excited to read it yeah. because there's so much else to just like it going on in the magazine right now. But, uh, it, I mean, just for the sheer freak out moments that happen in it, those are worth mentioning. So, yeah. All right, Nick. All right, with those. We're done with the new stuff. Let's go and talk about, uh, yeah. All, all my, all, all my girls. Your brides are here. All my brides are here. Uh, let's talk about We Never Learned, Nick. Question 175. A pizza bed equals tomorrow night's Pixie Part 7. So last time, two kids whose name I'm not going to bother remembering, even though they're said right here on the front page, were stranded on a dock because they saved a cat that could not care less about the situation. This cat is fucking ecstatic with everything. It is so happy. But the kids are in danger. So Uega and uh, Ashumi are going to go save them. And there was a whole big reveal before about Uega's father and Asumi walking in on it. And there was some drama that was lead up. But now they don't have time for that. They have to go save these kids. There's a little thing about like, oh, yeah, Tiggy was missing. We have to save these cats. And now the cat looks concerned. But it doesn't really matter because the cat has realized what is happening around it right now. <laughs> cat's like, wait a minute. I'm not getting close to the food. And this water's starting to get close. What the fuck's happening? And the cat's like, wait a minute, there's a sliding glass door over there that I want to get into, <laughs> but I can't. <laughs> Let me in. <laughs> Let me in so I can immediately want to get out. <laughs> so Uega immediately starts tying a rope around himself to the dock and is like, all right, I'm going to go after them. And uh, Dilek Asumi is like, you can't swim. <laughs> yeah. And it's weird that like every... It feels like every one of these arcs has brought up the fact that Uega can't swim at some point. Like every one of these, going to the beach, and then 
True. But Uega's like, it doesn't matter. I have to rescue them. They're, those are my students. But hey, I trust you. I know that if anything happens to me, I'm sure that you'll save me. So Sumi immediately grabs the rope and she ties herself. She's like, all right, you can't bring a bathroom alone. And I'm a doctor, so it's my job to protect them, them and you. So the two of them begin floating along the water, kind of like crawling, using the dock as like a way to guide themselves towards these kids. But the waters are really picking up. It's pretty tough. Uh, Asumi almost slips at one point. Yuiga grabs her. And I don't know why. Yuega chooses this moment to kind of address some of the, like, unresolved tension in the air to be like, you know, when my dad died, he was smiling, so that's why I'm sure your dad made the right call. And I kind of wanted to assume he'd just be like, hey, we're, it's t- 10 minutes, 10 minutes from now we could talk about this. Or alternately. What? <laughs> yeah, can't hear you. Uh, Uega says, hey, if we get back safe, I hope you'll tell me, let me, you, I hope you'll let me tell you how I feel about you. So there's a little, little kind of romantic moment between the two of them. Uh, Asumi gets up there, they get the kids, uh, they get back to the dock, Asumi's on the dock, she's reaching out for Uega, when a big, like, basically everything collapses, water rushes by, pulls Uega away, uh, immediately. The moment he gets swept away, her dad dives into the water with a, like a flotation device lifesaver and he goes after a, like an Olympic swimmer style dive. Yeah. Whoa! Dives <laughs> like, a like straight in. Yeah. Uh, immediately grabs him. He's like, you're going to be okay. You're going to be fine. Uh, but the, the dock is like falling apart and they're about to collide into it. And we don't find out what happens. We just hear Sumi screaming dad and Kohai. Uh, we cut later to the, the clinic, and we see uh, Uega has been placed on an operating table, and everyone's outside crying. And one of the kids is just like, our sensei's not going to die, is he? And uh, Taichi's just like, no, our sensei would never die. And then they read off the thing. They're like, oh, th- he's definitely dying. <laughs> like He has a lot of problems. He has internal bleeding right now. There's definitely yeah. internal damage. He's going to need surgery right away, or it's going to be fatal. And there's, they're the only doctors on this island. There's a storm. They couldn't even get them out of there if they wanted to. Because, yeah, of course, keep in mind that the reason that Asumi's father is there is that her mother was going to be away. Mm-hmm. So. so they're like, all right, Asumi, you have to kind of be second to your father. We have to perform a surgery. And he's getting ready to do so. But his hand starts cramping. His knife falls. And they're like, wait a minute. Your arm's broken. <laughs> and he's like, Yes. Just bring me a splint, though. I can still move my fingers. If I secure it really tight and stop the shaking, I could do this. And Asumi's like, what the fuck are you talking about? You can't do that. You could suffer permanent damage. And he's just like, my arm isn't important right now. If I don't do this surgery, who will? You know, your mother's away. There's no other doctor on the island. There's no way to get him out of here. And if I don't save him, how can I ever face his father again in the afterlife? And you, Yasumi, thinks back to her dad, uh, to Yega's weirdly timed thing. Like, you know, my dad died. He was smiling. And she says, no. You know what? You made the right call. You took care of your patient. Dad, you've always done everything you could for your patients. And we see like a collage of the actual times we have seen in the series that her, her father was a really good, you know, doctor to a lot of people. And uh, it just says, yes, that day, my dad did the best he could for his patient. 
right now, how can I do what's best for Kohai? And it cuts back to Yuiga saying, hey, besides, I trust you. Yeah, you know, I know if anything happens, you'll be sure to save me. So Asumi says, I've got this. I'll perform the surgery. Bringing it all around mm-hmm. to uh, the struggle with the uh, the stitching that she had before. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, talk about freaking raising the stakes. Like th- when when this happened and we got, literally ended up on operating table, I was like, "Jeez, holy <laughs> shit!" <laughs> I mean, before like, oh no, he fell and broke his leg. Like, is he gonna miss the exam? That was the big problem that we had before this. Uh, but I think that. I mean, there are little bits here and there that I think is kind of weird. It's weird that we have the whole page dedicated to, and the kids were looking for a cat. Yeah. And I don't think that I would have done that. But in general, I think that this is a really cool development. I like the pacing of the decision that Tsumi has to make and the decision that she ultimately makes. And it's a great cliffhanger to leave off on. Like, holy shit, she's going to have to try and save this boy so that he can tell her he's in love with her like holy crap (laughs) it's so amusing to me that this this little route started with yuega and asumi being on this island together and it's like oh these old flings have met again we're gonna have some romantic adventures Ooh, there's a little bit of like a sexy hot spring episode and then it ends on like this cartoonish medical drama series like if you don't get it if i don't operate on him right now he is going to die dad you can't do it your hand's broken he's like stay put my hand together i'll do it like it's it's so big i fucking love it man we better have like some sort of a sci-fi adventure for the for the Kirisu route. Like, oh yeah, this. gotta go fucking space or something. Yeah, awesome chapter. Uh, I mean, like I said, little nitpicks with part of it, but just the whole the big delivery is is uh, is very good. So, uh-huh. so Doctor Stone Z equals one hundred sixty-seven. Different strokes, different strokes rule the world with science. So, Tsukasa, at the exact moment that it seemed that Zeno's forces, mostly Stanley, were going to take over the Perseus, they finished tunneling, they barged into his throne room, and uh, Tsukasa and Kohaku and Hyoga all have Zeno pinned down right now. And Zeno basically pretty quickly figures out, like, oh, you tunneled here, didn't you? Because that way you uh, managed to avoid all the guards and stuff like that. And we actually get, like, this brief montage of, like, some of the difficulties they ran into in order to get to this point. Like how they came across a farm before. like there, And so it was kind of one of those, like, ah, should have taken a left turn at Albuquerque kind of moment. And Grum was like, wait, th- no, no, this is wrong. Okay, we got to go, figure this out. Um, but... They also had that also has the advantage of, oh, hey, this is the place where they grow the corn. This is the kind of stuff that we need for to get back to later. Uh, took out some guards after after uh, Suika distracted them and Gen distracted them by pretending to throw up. But it was actually his cards. And Kohaku chokes out a guy whose neck is as big as her head as her entire body. So well done. Uh-huh. And Hyoga just kind of went. <laughs> that's how he took out the other guy <laughs> and uh, then Tsukasa was like alright my turn and he just you know seemingly just 
beat beat up everyone in from there up until they reached uh, Zeno. Uh, Chrome gets a look around the base and stuff. Is like, oh wow, look at all this advanced stuff. Uh, but they're in a hurry. They tie up Zeno and Kohaku just one hands him like like she's carrying a duffel bag under one hand. Basically, she carries this guy with them back down into the tunnel. Uh, Gen warns the others as they all make their escape. Oh, they're they're practically on us. They're here. They come. So here's a part of the chapter that confused me, Chris, because uh-huh. I get the joke but I don't understand the resolution of what happens here. So Chrome has this bomb, this little, this bag with a fuse that clearly has like gunpowder or something in it. He's like, this bomb will go kaboom and it'll solve all our problems. The blast will send Zeno's sled whooshing back down the tunnel while blocking off the castle's end of the tunnel. Two for one. And Kohaku's like, oh, good plan, Chrome. So who's going to make sure the bomb goes off? Because obviously Dr. Zeno can't do it. And Chrome just looks at her at her, and the rest of them is like, oh, the, that kind of look on his face. So the next page we see is Taiju helping everyone get out of the tunnel. And then the bomb goes off. And shoots the sled with Zeno and with Chrome in it down the tunnel. And it's important that it's only the two of them on it. It's only the two of them. So I believe that the reason that Chrome set off the bomb while he was there was to make sure that the bomb was set off. But if everyone else went down the tunnel and got out of it... I don't know why they had to put Zeno in the sled. Yeah, it it it's kind of weird because you would assume if the people are right behind them and they need to have this big explosive getaway that they would have all had to lift in the same kind of mode. You know, if it's like, hey, we're only going to be able to outrun them if we use a sled, then either there has to be more than one sled or they should all be on the same sled. And I guess there is just another sled that we didn't see or something it's it's very confusing as to why the rest of the group makes it all the way to the other side of the tunnel but chrome and xeno get stuck midway because the explosion collapses the mine on top of them yes that is the development that's like it's important that we get to this situation so that we can then have the thing that chrome does afterwards but it's very weird like why did you do it this way because it doesn't really make sense that they did this but whatever so everyone realizes what has happened which is that the tunnel has not just collapsed on the side that they set the bomb off on but also on the other side because you know send off an explosion while you got a tunnel it's hard to predict what's going to happen so the doctor on Zeno's side stops people from running off to try and find where they the tunnel leads and it's just like no, if the tunnel's collapsed, we've got to dig it out, and the team that digs uh, to them is going to win. So don't split our digging forces, and they, they just start moving. Chrome, however, has a little bit of uh, equipment, of course, from the sled, so he starts digging from the other side as well. And he and Zeno can have a conversation in this situation, of course. And 
Zeno's like, oh, you know, you you constructed this entire tunnel. You had this cable car escape plan. It's truly elegant. You're a man of intellect, Chrome. So think about it. Where should you be digging? Which side should you aim for? Your ship and your allies have lost. Stan has already taken over. The battle is over. And I have no intention of ending any more lives. This is the new world. I am a ruler. All that remains is for you to become my subjects. And Chrome's like, fuck you, basically. <laughs> <laughs> he says, why should you get to rule? And Zeno says, because I can lead the ignorant masses. Look at this close-up of my weird finger claws things. Uh, and there's this really cool visual uh, in this two-page spread where Zeno complains about how things were in the 21st century, how all these different people basically used him as a puppet. He had all this scientific knowledge, but he had to follow all these rules, all these decrees that people put uh, forth by brutes who would sooner throw a punch than see the true value of science. And Chrome, of course, thinks about Magna. And he's like, yeah, I know a few magma, sorry, magna is the guy in Black Clover. He says, I know a few people who are like this. Uh, and Zeno's like, join me and we shall rule the galaxy, of course, like that. And But Chrome says, you know, meatheads like magma, they do love power and muscles and all that. But to be honest, I don't understand why you want to do this, why you consider them inferior. Different strokes, you know, that doesn't make them fools. I ain't so high and mighty to judge people on what they love. Chrome said gay rights. So (laughs) he keeps on digging and shortly enough, the situation is resolved. Uh, He and Taiju meet digging from opposite ends. It's a cool visual that I wish had gotten a bit more focused because uh, Chrome's makeshift uh, pickaxe and Taiju's drill actually meet as they break through the tunnel from both sides. I feel like it would, be a, would have been a cool thing to get to, to emphasize. Yeah. But we swiftly move on from there to Chrome getting on the uh, cell phone and saying, the target's been captured. You got that, Senku? We got the enemy king. Dr. Zeno is in hand. And it's implied that Senku has actually gotten this message because it ends the chapter ends with him smirking confidently. So... It's I wish I liked this chapter more than I did, because I do like that Chrome has this big moment. I like that it really acknowledges this whole thing of Zeno being like science is the only thing that matters and showing that Chrome has had these interactions with people that don't acknowledge science. But instead of just being like, yeah, you could be a big, dumb idiot like Magma. He's just like Magma I've seen is a real person and he may not like science or appreciate it the same way I do, but that doesn't make him an idiot. Yeah, you know what? I he's he's a good guy too and i you know i i don't i'm not gonna judge who he is based off the morals or the things that he holds highly like it's a good moment for him but between like the confusion of the start of the chapter to like this point and then i said like the actual breakthrough not having as big of a moment it doesn't quite work for me the way i wanted it to yeah I think that there are good parts of it, but I think that with some changes, it could have been a good overall chapter instead of there were good things in it. Yeah. So. All, right, All right. Let's talk about Mashalnik. Oh, wait, hold on a second. I had, I had the girls up for the whole time. Now I got the creep puffs. Mashal. I didn't say anything. I was like, I mean, you know, if you want. Now all my girls, they're all here. You know, yeah, they're all here. <laughs> 
Uh, let's talk about Mashal, Magic and Muscles, Chapter 32, Mash Burned Dead, and the Surprising Strike. So, Mash blew open the door to Lord Abel's chapter, and Lord Abel just says, I thought Rain was the only student capable of facing the evil eye, referring to Abyss Razor. And he says, you can't possibly be a better magic user than Rain. But could it be that... And Mash gets really like, oh no. <laughs> and like Lord Abel's like... The guy's just like... What are you doing? Why are you making those faces? <laughs> Nothing. No. And he just says, like, in any case, you seem to be quite capable. And I'm like, phew! Which is... So obvious. Yeah. Which is why you should understand that this world is not fair, nor does it treat everyone equally. I mentioned our beastly natures to you once before. I can't abide by defective genes. This voice you're giving this guy. I, I think he's going to be like, this world is not fair, nor is it treat everyone equally. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think who that voice is too. This world is—it's like a—it's like a weird Matthew McConaughey, almost like this world is not. I was fair. going for whiny teenager, but yeah. I guess that I'm a little bit too mm, down this, here now. This world is not fair, nor does it treat everyone equally. I don't know All right, now you're doing angsty Kermit. <laughs> <laughs> I mentioned our beastly natures once to you before. Uh... <laughs> He's like, we are positioned to take from others. Those we pity take advantage of us, so we selfishly uphold our advantages. Audacious of us, is it not? Why then do we burden ourselves with useless baggage? And Mash just like, and what about the people who can't use magic? What happens to them? Abel just says, oh, we must dispose of them. I like Mash's face like, oh, but that's me. <laughs> He's like, merely segregating them for society is too kind. I will fix this system, and we mustn't forget the underachievers and those who shelter the weak. And Mash thinks about those who shelter the weak and thinks about his dad, who has taken care of him and been really nice. And we see a bunch of, like, weird new references about how Mash did a... This weird middle panel that gets me. (laughs) This thing where Mash, as a baby, basically was doing double back somersaults. And, like, they do the whole, like, you grab the fly thing, but it's with cream puffs. When you can take this pebble from my hand, you will be ready to leave. And it's just like, you ate my cream puff. (laughs) (laughs) But it also finishes with them saying, Mash, I'm proud of you, my son. So Mash just says, okay, I understand. Your kind of way is a problem for me. So I don't think we can be friends. Abel just says, well, I guess you don't understand. You're a little dense and defective genes must be eradicated. He sends a whole bunch of his like his his dolls after him. Love shows up and is like, whew, I worked my pigtails off today. Is the door broken? <laughs> we got to we got to get used to this girl being around all the time, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so she happens upon the scene and watches Mash just punch one of the, the dummies away. But the dummy's head, when it knocks off, exposes a bunch of liquid underneath that Mash dodges. And he's like, oh, yes, that doll has acid in it. Uh, You might want to tread carefully. So Mash grabs the head. And there's all these dolls running at him. And he takes a bullied stance. (laughs) And he just rolls back. And he tosses the head. And it just pinballs its way through all of the mannequins. (laughs) As Love just watches on it. She's like, huh? Oh my god, what's happening? <laughs> she just watches it kill all of them without even touching them, and he just rolls a strike and bowls over all of them. <laughs> Mash finishes off the chapter by saying, So you said something about his defective genes? So if I manage to beat you, what does that say about your genes? Also, what did you do with Lemon? And he's like, 
I have no idea what you're talking about. I've only taken from the other students. The only thing I've taken from them is magical power. Man, like, you're making them sick. He's like, I told you. The strong take from the week. That's all right. And a bunch of, like, more detailed marionettes come out. And bigger ones, yeah. Yeah, and he's like, you lack the power to stop them because you've hit your limit. And Mash, of course, just immediately punches them away. This awesome two-page spread where Abel looks all cool and confident. And you just see all the new mannequins just shooting straight past him. And this is the only thing I really didn't get. Because Abel's like, he's grown since last time. You're like, how would you even know? He clowned your dummies the last time you used them against him, too. So Mash just finishes off by saying the strong take from the week, and that's the right. Then when I win, you tell me where Lemon is. And he has like the big finger point of, uh-oh. The, <laughs> I can't do it because the, the, the camera assumes my finger isn't real. Yeah, there you go. And uh, we've just finished off with uh, Love being like, I think I should move back home. <laughs> this, is, this shit's dangerous. <laughs> so many jokes in this chapter. I end some cool moments in the fight. Um... Yeah, the bit that Abel says about, you know, he's grown since last time. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? I just, um, and I think that a lot of the dialogue in this chapter in general is just a little bit samey from the stuff that we've gotten from Abel. But at the very least, we've gotten, you know, we've got some good, you know, mash reaction faces from interacting with him. And I think that my favorite part of the actual conversation are, yeah, when mash is like, oh, no. I also do really like that last that in the conversation he basically taught he basically asked enough leading questions to be like oh, okay so our goals are not sim- like compatible so I have to find like we're never going to be friends because the way you view the world is completely alien to what I believe in like I just kind of like after we kind of had like redemption arcs for worth and for abyss to kind of like show him I kind of like that he's like pretty upfront he's just like we're never going to be friends because you're an asshole, yeah. basically. Your your values are completely different from mine. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, it's also a very innocent way of putting it. It's like, I don't think we're ever going to be able to be friends, you know, yeah. as opposed to like, I've got to kick your ass. So. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about Ayakashi Triangle, Chapter 14, Inside Matsuri. Oh, I bet I'm misinterpreting the sexuality of that line. I can't possibly be misconstruing it to give it a a, a sensual implication. No, no, no. That's, that's far too innocent. So to start with, I will say this color page that opens up Ayakasha Triangle is very pretty. Kentaro Yabaki is a very good artist. I have never attempted to claim anything uh, other than that. It, it, it looks really good. It's a, It looks very movie postery. So... Credit on that. Uh, we open on uh, Garaku, who is doing some sketches of the super muscular sensei guy. Uh, and after he he just kind of mentions that, like, oh, yeah, I decided to stay here in town for a little while. Uh, and the teacher's like, oh, does that mean you've discovered a theme or something that grabs you here? And, and Garaku's like, I have indeed. Okay, so we cut over to Matsuri, who is going to go and visit Suzu. And we meet, I think, for the first time, Suzu's little brother. Uh, this kind of 11 and 12-year-old looking kid named uh, Rita. 
Uh, Shirogane is there along with Matsuri, who is wearing like a very traditional, uh, you know, Japanese clothing, the kind of, you know, like the shirt that like ties around the side and stuff. And Matsuri makes the comment of like, oh, you Rita, you've gotten so big. And Rita's like, have we met? Do I do I know you? Because, <laughs> of course, Matsuri was just a guy back then. So, yeah. Uh, and um, Rita immediately goes like, I didn't know that that uh, that that Matsuri guy that would visit was actually a girl this whole time. And now her boobs are huge. And we just get this narration just like Rita is approaching puberty. It's like he's not approaching it. He's he's not approaching it. <laughs> <laughs> they go into Suzu's room. Matsuri's like, it smells nice. Oh, right, because it smells like Suzu. Okay, calm down. Calm the fuck down. <laughs> uh, but Matsuri's like, you know, if I hadn't become a girl, I probably wouldn't be here like this. I don't know. I feel as though if, like demons were attacking your best friend then there might be occasionally things where you would want to just go into her room to make sure that you know she was safe if whatever he's like no no i can't save you it'd be taboo for a young male to enter a young female's room Mm-mm. you're gonna have to be eaten by that fox demon i guess it is consistent with the very innocent uh but getting into hormone stuff that the two characters have going on but it is still just like come, come on like fuck off so uh suzu asks about garaku because apparently matsuri's grandfather knew about him they say that like garaku is the suku mogami of a brush which had been used by a famous artist and so seemingly his personality now reflects that artist's uh and uh, Shiragane kind of fills in a few of the gaps for them. Like, yeah, that artist like loves cats. So that's kind of one of the reasons why he's obsessed with me. At that very moment, Garaku appears outside of Suzu's window. And it's like, oh, Shiragane, I have found you. Shiragane is like, oh, no. Uh, Garaku does a cool thing, which is that he quickly paints a sketch of a door on the wall outside. And then he just, you know, opens it up from the outside. It's a nice little detail that you see him draw it in order to create the door. He drags off Shirogane to, I don't know, fuck the kitty. I don't <laughs> oh, know. <place>. So. <laughs> Let's just assume it's the most perverted thing it could possibly be when it comes to the series. Why not? Um, Matsuri and Suzu are left alone. Oh, no, they're alone in Suzu's bedroom. And Matsuri's like, I mean, it's not like things are like that between us. And then because he's a weirdo, he thinks about how Nino Kuru uh, declared he was in love with Suzu because like that's what I would be thinking about in that circumstance sure so Suzu apparently has been talking this whole time and 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 she's like what do you think and he's like I'm not thinking about your boobs or the other guy who wants to have sex with you I mean not that I want to because honestly I don't know if I do because <laughs> <laughs> so we get Something that I don't think has actually been brought up since like the first chapter of the series, which is the difference between spiritual energy and life energy, Kon and Haku, which is that humans have both types and an Ayakashi medium can manipulate Haku, life energy, which is the only form of energy that Ayakashi actually have. And Matsuri apparently just like thinks that this is total and utter bullshit he's like no that's not how it works because as a ninja as an exorcist ninja 
humans develop their ability through training their kon, their spiritual energy. You can't manipulate Haku. It's not a thing that people can do. And Suzu's like, well, but Garaku said that that was how I took control of his octopus. So if that's true, wouldn't that be incredible? And she's like, and she's got this big cat pillow and she's like move and Matri's like come on you can't do that the octopus didn't happen because of your power you're a useless woman and then the cat starts moving right in front of Suzu's right in Suzu's arms and it's like wraps around her and stuff and they're like oh my god what? and they immediately stumble over each other and they fall into Suzu's bed together <gasps> oh no oh my what a what a sizzling situation. Oh, scandalous. But Suzu. So the way that it leads to is very like, all right, I know what you're doing. But to her credit, Suzu immediately thinks I was told that this power could nullify jutsu. So she, in order to get at the mark, rips open Matsuri's shirt and is like, all right, here's the curse mark on his on his on his navel, and if I concentrate and if I put my energy into this, I can just undo the jutsu, and then and then he'll be a guy, and then he'll just be here in my bed, and we'll be able to bone. So, Matsuri goes, something hot is flowing into me from Suzu. Is this Suzu's Haku? Anyway, Giggity. Shirogane and Garaku are peeping on them from outside <laughs> while this is going on. And, and Garaku's just like, yeah, that's not going to work uh, because the jutsu is just too advanced. She's got no training. And this is a way more complicated thing for someone to do than to just, you know, pour life into an inanimate object or just a fake octopus like my jutsu made. So but she he's analyzing the ability and stuff like that. And then he goes, you know, if she can't control it, an Omokage will supposedly emerge, blah, blah, blah. And you didn't tell them about it. You're so mean. They're interesting kids. Shirogane, why don't you just tell them your objective? And Shirogane just says, I'm not going to align myself with humans. <gasps> Are we going to get a good-ass cat face turn? Probably. So Yeah. <laughs> Chris is like, all right, one extra star. On yeah, this all right. Series. This is now a 17 star series because it's got a good ass cat in it. So Suzu and Matsuri are still in Suzu's bed. Suzu on top of the de-shirted Matsuri. But Suzu realizes that nothing is happening. And Matsuri's like, well, I felt your power, but that was it. It just naturally left my body and disappeared, it seems like. And then Suzu goes, but you felt what came from in me go inside of you. And Matsuri's like, yes, this isn't sexual dogs. <laughs> so that all happens. And then Rita comes in and is like, hey, sis, about dinner. And he sees his sister in bed with seemingly another hot girl, half undressed, and just immediately goes, oh, sorry, and then closes the door and, 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 and leaves. And that's basically where, where the chapter ends. Um, so... The series is dumb. It, it it's dumb. I, I but kinda, I kind of admire the dumbness of it. I'm kind of enjoying it for some stupid. I don't know why. 
the art dude feels like such a stupid character, but I do kind of like his power. I do dislike that they're like, oh god, it's that dude. Well, just, just pretend he's not there. And then he just paints the little door and he's like, hi! <laughs> I don't know why. It's, yeah, yeah, it's dumb. And it's so, it's so persistent at trying to be erotic as much as you can yes. in a magazine aimed mostly like preteens. But you just kind of admire the dedication to the craft, as dumb as it is. I think that what's weird about it is that Kentaro Yabuki is like 40 now. Because he's been writing manga since the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Like Black Cat was like 2001 debut or something like that. So just the idea of like a 40-year-old thinking that this is hot is just kind of like... Do you... Have you had sex before? <laughs> Well, I mean, there's there's that very infamous thing that he was married and then like his wife divorced him uh, or something. That, like that wasn't him. That wasn't him. That was the uh, writer of To Love Rue. Kadari oh, okay. the artist of To Love Ah, oh, gotcha, gotcha. But just like <laughs> this weird teasing stuff that goes on. Yeah, you're right. It's like meant to appeal to like To Love Rue boys. And yeah, it, it definitely has that feeling of like it's meant to be titillating to a guy who has not had any experiences and is just kind of like having these feelings and doesn't really know how to think about them. So I understand that, but it just some of the stuff in this is like, did you feel what came from inside me? Go inside you. So you mean your energy? Yes. The very hot manipulating energy that changes your body. (laughs) It's, it's funny because I feel like there was an author comment from him that I saw where he's like, my daughter read uh, Ayakashi Triangle and said she thought this one character was really cute or something like that. And I was like, I can't imagine drawing something that's like two steps away from pornography and my my young daughter being like, I like this character. That cute cat's funny. I don't know. Was what it this it week? Whenever he say, what does it mean whenever he says that Suzu is daring? <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see. Because it, it. Oh, yeah. There is like a blog author comment saying. Yes. Yes. There the is. 27th Ayakashi Triangle. Where is it? If it was this week. Oh, God. I'm just going to tell you. I, uh, I will say that I actually. Yeah. Kind of- he says, daughter in Aya Triangle Volume 1 will blank be revealed and he responded mm, i don't know should i and she says respond to expectations <laughs> respond to expectations so i guess she's heavily invested in the story she's like you better reveal that big secret that actually kind of makes me like the series a little bit more that he's got a daughter who really <laughs> likes it it's like oh that's <laughs> weird I will say that for, that ignoring the actual purpose of the chapter of titillating and stuff like that, I actually do kind of appreciate Suzu as a character a little bit more that she's like, oh, I potentially have this power. Gonna solve the problem right now. Like she immediately is like, I will solve the plot instead of pussyfooting around it. I have the potential to potentially do this. I'm going to do it. And then it just doesn't work because it's not time to do that yet. But she yeah. tries. So I do generally like it. I think it's uh a fine chapter in the grand scheme of things. And I, I, it feels like a retcon or something to address the fact that they're like, Oh, this series is popular. It might have to run a while to be like, Oh, Shiragani's not actually a bad guy. He's going to be a good guy or something like that. Uh-huh. All right. So we don't have black clover this week. No, we don't, but we have 
All my friends are here. One Piece, chapter 991. The title for many, many times when we were reading uh, Code Breaker. Let us die! (laughs) Also, be prepared for this to be the last chapter you get for quite a while. Uh, One Piece is going to be on break until like late October, mid-October. Oda uh, fell ill suddenly, so he needs some time to recover. We wish him the best and uh, hope that uh, when he is back to uh, writing One Piece that he feels better than ever. Yep. The fight's going on. Uh, X-Drake is there. And Everyone loves I had somebody really angry because they're like, it's not pronounced X-Drake. It's pronounced Diaz-Drake. And I had to look it up. Apparently it is. Look, I don't understand. It might be problematic of me to be saying, like, I don't care how it's supposed to be pronounced because, like, I, I, I don't know if it's like a cultural thing that the X is supposed to be pronounced Diaz. I just have always called him X-Drake. It's the same reason I know her name is not Jewelry Bonnery. I always call her Jewelry Bonnery. So that's why I do it. So it's just happened. I didn't even notice that about you because it's Bonnie, right? Yeah, it's Jewelry Bonnie, but I always call her Bonnery. It's just it's how I learned the name. It's just how it's going to be. I mean, I can do, I, that's something that I can totally understand because, you know, just like, it, you know, the, the rhyme sticks with you. Yeah. Anywho, so... Drake recalls the advice that Cody gave, Cody gave him. It's like, when he's a friend, he's so close to you. But when he's an enemy, he's completely out of reach. That's the kind of person he is. And Drake was just like, what do you mean by that? <laughs> Cody's like, Luffy has this power that pulls people in toward him. And Luffy in the present is like, I know you. You want to defeat Kaido, huh? And Drake continues to say, I can't tell you why, but our goals are aligned. And Zoro starts clashing swords with him and is like, don't go pulling out stupid crap right now. Come on, this guy this guy was working for Kaido, like Hawkins was. And Drake's like, yeah, but I've been fired from that position. And Zoro's like, so you're with us because you're that's it? And Frankie is like, yeah, I don't trust that guy. And Jinbei's like, you can't trust him. There's a code of honor in, in the in, in the pirate world. And Luffy's just like, yeah, you can join us. <laughs> <laughs> Luffy. Yeah. So. Uh, the people surrounding them start to act, uh, you know, page one and ulti rejoin the fight and stuff. Uh, Usopp uh, intercepts. Uh, I believe page one with his green star thing. He like, I think launches a gas attack of some sort is what happens. And Ulti is upset about this. And she looks over her shoulder and is like, who did that? And we see Nami standing, looking stern and stuff. And there's word from behind her goes, Oh, Nami, and for whatever reason, Usopp's hiding behind Nami and pretending to speak for her. I didn't notice it before. I must have, like, missed the panels. And it's so funny that he, he's like, I'm going to hide behind the only of this straw hat who's more fight adverse than I am. I don't know why the fuck he does this. So Nami's like, I didn't say that. Oh, also the battle is starting. Bye! <laughs> Just runs away. 
Uh, yeah, page one's bearing down on Usopp. Ulti's pissed off. Uh, Sanji calls over to Usopp as he and Nami book it away. I'm counting on you to keep Nami safe, Usopp. And then they rush off. Uh, they run into uh, Scratchman uh, Oppo, who is, uses his voice powers again, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and he calls out to the giant things that got kicked, their asses kicked uh, in the previous chapter. And he says, you look pathetic right now. The ten of you have laid waste to countless towns together. You can't get clobbered while you're drunk at a party. That's not funny. Okay. Uh, it's look, I, I will admit this. They're trying to make the numbers a big deal and it's just not working. The numbers suck. There's already too many things for me to keep track too of. Too many characters in this arc. Yeah. And it's a big thing that Hacha shows back up now too. Cause like, Oh, Hacha, like we're about to talk about it, but Hacha is going to like go after Frankie. And it's like, None of these characters have personalities. They're just big things, and we've already seen the Straw Hats beat big things before. But Chris, they're part of the Codemen, and they're part of the Recodes, and they're part of the Angels. <sighs> oh my god, I'm starting to like get flashbacks. So, uh, yeah, there's giants, and yeah, Hacha uh, is there, and Jinbei sa- gets an idea and says... Listen, Frankie, run out of this dome. If the big one fights in here, the samurai won't last. Makes sense. Giant guy in an enclosed space. He could cause a lot of trouble. So the Frankie tank runs off. Uh And uh, Drake and Zoro are still fighting each other at this point. Drake's like, your victory serves my purposes. Uh, And and, and then he's like, how's that sound? And Zoro's like, I mean... You're still hiding where you stand, and I don't like that. Uh, Scratchman Oppo says, I'm going to call more of the numbers. Okay. So they, the two of them instead turn on Oppo and start trying to fight him. And uh, he's like, oh, you're going to try and leech off of that little pirate crew, huh? And Drake says, well, I've always hated that guy. I'm going to destroy him, but not for you. And they're like, all right, whatever. I hate him, too. And they, and they start going after him. But then, daka 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 daka, like bullets fly down on all three of them. Queen's got a minigun, which is awesome. And uh, he's like, I'm not going to let you just, you know, walk away, you, you fucking spy. Good point. And there's a weird moment where someone who's been shot by what an errant bullet is like, ah, it hurts. And Zoro says, that's a weird weapon. And Drake says, did you really think you could kill me with that? Unless these bullets. And then we cut away. I could only assume that they're like diseases, like similar to the ones he used back at the prison or sea stone. But sea stone doesn't seem to really gel with the other guy being like, ah, it hurts unless he has a secret devil fruit. So I'm, I'm assuming it's supposed to be pretty relevant to that poison thing they had back at the, uh, the prison. Yes. Meanwhile, on the roof, Jack's been defeated. Hooray! It's over. <laughs> uh, he got his ass kicked after Cat Viper and Doc Storm went too long. Uh, one of his tusks is broken off. And uh, there is a kind of a cool little moment where, you know, Jack uh, is like, I failed you, Master Kaido. And Kaido's like, no, 
This does not make you weak. They're just that strong. <laughs> I really needed somebody to be like, this doesn't make you weak. You losing this time in addition to the three other times you've lost, though, is what makes you weak. I mean, this defeat does not make you weak, but that 0-4 record. Uh... <laughs> no one, like, in this in this world... No one can possibly think that Jack is cool. He is the lamest character in this this fight right now. <laughs> He's not great. I I do appreciate though that Kaido is just like, no, you're one of my most valued men. This does not like standing up for him. It's a very nice thing. Yeah. It's not he's not just like, oh, you're fucking useless because I'm the villain. So Yeah. Uh, and it seems like both sides have suffered extreme losses. A lot of the, uh, of the minks, uh, have been defeated, although Cat Viper and Dockstorm are still definitely standing strong. So, Kaido's like, uh, and decides to just use his breath weapon and blast everyone away, because screw this. So, cool shot of him in his, you know, full dragon form shooting a freaking laser out of his mouth. And... Kinemon's like Foxfire style flame run. Cuts the flame in half, protects everyone, it splits, and nobody gets hurt by it. Cool. Uh, and all of the uh, scabbards that are then like, we're not going to run away. Let us die as Lordo and Samurai once we've taken your head. Very oddly paced chapter, I think, all around. And, uh, I don't know. A lot of this stuff doesn't really click for me, especially the big final declaration. I'm like, why are they saying, oh, we're going to die here? Like, seems like the battle's going pretty well for them because, like, it's basically just Kaido left to deal with and then there's all of them. So, yeah, but I think all of them kind of recognize how strong he is. So they're like, look, we're not going to run away from this fight if we're not, like, give it up or anything like that, because he gives his big, like, run away while you can, or whatever, like, fuck you. We're not running away. If we're dying, we're dying as Samurai of Odin. So, I do like that moment. I, I, I like that it feels like we're starting to move to that point where characters are separating again to move. Or like, I'm really excited at the idea that we get a fight of Usopp and Nami, hopefully, versus Page One and Ulti. Like, that yes. would be fucking awesome, so I'm really hoping we get that. I'm not as excited that it looks like Frankie might be relegated to just fighting Hacha because who gives a fuck? But I, I think that it's we're moving in hopefully a better direction, and um, you know it's gonna suck. We're gonna be without One Piece for like two weeks, but you know I'm excited to see the next chapter at least. Yeah, um, I did like the little bits here and there. I liked, of course, the stuff with Nami and Usopp, and yeah. It's very loof, a very loofy thing where everyone's just like, this guy is very suspicious and it's not cool that he's just jumping shit because he thinks he's screwed. And Luffy's like, yeah, you can join us. Why not? <laughs> Come on in. All right. That's uh, everything for this week. Favorite chapter in MVP. Favorite chapter, I think, is... Uh, no, sorry. It was It's My Hero Academia. I got distracted for a moment. I forgot. I was like, no, My Hero Academia was fucking awesome this week. So, yeah, I'm going to give it to My Hero. Uh, I'm going to give mine to We Never Learn because okay. I really like the development in it. It went in a direction that I was completely not expecting. And uh, I'm looking forward to uh, Asumi being Miracle Doctor. So, uh, And then my MVP this week is going to be Asumi for that reason. I, I think it's a good chapter for her. I like that big motivation there. And I am going to give my MVP to... God, I got I to pull the name up. Sorry. 
You're like someone called Lufay, Luffy, Lufay, <laughs> uh, to Uneris from Maguchan. I thought that she was good, and I'm glad that there is a chaos god that is actually, you know, eccentric and weird along the same lines as Magu, unlike Naputaku, who was just kind of a jerk. So. All right, and the audience picked We Never Learn as their chapter of the week and a tie for character of the week between Bakugo and Chrome. Chrome did have cool stuff, mm-hmm. too. So, All right, that is going to do it for this week of Weekly Manga Recap. We want to thank you guys for joining us. So we're going to do something special next week, Chris. Uh, do we want to go over that, or do we just uh, want to save We'll just say that next week we should have a guest. Uh, yes. I'll wait to announce anything further, but we should have a guest. Someone we haven't had on the show before. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think... It, I, I'm excited for it. We're going to see how this thing goes. And, and obviously, I guess things get spooky, right? It's uh, Tomorrow is October. So, Nick, I'm, uh, oh, no, I'm oh, no, oh, no, Chris, no, 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 you can hang on, Chris. No, fight it. Fight the changes. No, no. But Nick, don't you mean code breakers? Oh, I'm back, bitches. Me, the spook master general and everyone's favorite month. Don't you mean Buak? Give me no. my friend Buak. No, that's not what I mean. No. Well, go try it again. Let's try it back. Say that no. line again. No. No. Don't you mean? Never. I'll never give in. I'll never give in to you. <laughs> Don't you mean never give in to Boo? <laughs> now just spoke past the general's back, bitches. Twitch.tv slash Rollo <laughs> Wednesdays, 7 to 8 Eastern time. Rollo T, uh, Nick F time. Weekly manga recap. Podbean.com. Discord server. <laughs> Thank you, Steve Mann. Thank you, Infamous Planet. Thank you, NNJX3I. Thank you, Winston the Elchetter. Thank you, uh, uh, fucking Mil- Jeff Milejack Stilts. And thank you to everyone who supports us on Patreon. Bye!